You were in Hawaii.
Okay, it's uh, one o'clock and I think that we're ready to call this meeting of the County Planning Commission to order on uh, Monday, June 12th. Um, uh, the first thing I actually wanna do is to welcome our new commissioners, um, Greg Stepanisic from District 1 and Claudia Morales from District 5. Um, thank you both very much for, for, for joining us. Um, the first item on the agenda is initial transactions, uh, call to order and roll call. Does, yep, do you wanna take the, yep. Here. 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 Um, uh, next item is to approve the minutes from the May 8th uh, Planning Commission hearing. Do I have a motion to approve or were there any comments? I move that we approve the minutes. I'll second. Okay. Motion by Commissioner Desser, second by Commissioner Land. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And obviously Commissioner Stepanisic and Commissioner Marais are abstaining because they weren't here. That is correct. <laughs> Thank you. Um, communications, do, do any commissioners have any communications that they would like to? Oh, sorry, did we not vote? Okay, I said all in favor, did I not? It's okay. Um, any, any communications that the commissioners would like to disclose? Okay, hearing none, director's report, I know we don't, yes. Sarah, what's our director's report today? It was on. Yep. Oh, there you go. You'd think I'd know how to do this by now. Uh, Sarah Jones, uh, Community Development Agency Director. I'm sitting in with you today for uh, Jeremy Tajirian, Planning Director, who is on vacation. Um, I have also just returned from vacation, so this will not be the most uh, polished director's report that you've ever received. Um, I did want to mention a few things. One of them is I have some really exciting news that I'm not quite yet at liberty to fully share because uh, I have not confirmed 
uh, all of the details yet, but uh, we have identified uh, a replacement for Ana Hilda. Um, so very nice. This person will be joining us in July and uh, very excited uh, about this candidate and uh, we'll share information with you as soon as we're able of uh, news and, or, you know, of her name and uh, information. And uh, I think you will very much enjoy uh, working with your new planning commission secretary. So really um, a, a, a good, good moment, um, you know, uh, they have great experience and uh, will are, are really looking forward to joining this team. So, great. Uh, so that'll be good news. Uh, it is possible that uh, they will be here at your next meeting. Uh, the uh, the calendar as it is right now, or probably as you're aware, has the Brian Johnson Trust uh, application coming before you. At the end of June, June 26th, uh, we will need to uh, postpone that, not for too long, uh, but do need um, some additional time for review. And so uh, that will be coming back later this summer. Uh, I'm not, uh, I haven't had a chance to get up to speed on other pending agenda items, so I, Jeremy will share any further information about that on his return, or, or I will um, uh, later in the month. Uh, so that's sort of your upcoming business. Um, I did also want to share with you that we have uh, gotten feedback from HCD, from Department of Housing and Community Development, on the necessary changes that they would be looking for to our housing element. Uh, we have drafted those changes and have posted as required. That's a seven-day posting that went up, uh, I think, mid last week. So we'll be transmitting a revised housing element to HCD later this week. Um, so that's also really good news of, um, of some big progress. And at the moment, that is all I have to report. But I'm happy to take any questions. Mr. Dickinson. Uh, Sarah, the commissioners were polled about a special meeting in July, July 31st, um, and I think at least a couple commissioners were not going to be here, and I think that's Johnson, the one you mentioned. Yep. Um, okay, we apparently do have a quorum. I think it is fair to the applicant to tell them that the code requires um, four affirmative votes to grant the appeal or to modify it. So they're aware of that ahead of time in case they have a concern about needing a four-fifths vote from the commissioners that will be present then. Yes, for sure. And that's what that's what we're trying to, that's why we haven't nailed down the date yet because we need to sort of consider the trade-offs. The, the next regularly scheduled meeting that would be, um, that would be feasible uh, for everybody on the team uh, isn't until the end of August, and so that's the that's where the cons the schedule consideration comes in. Thank you for sharing that. Questions for Sarah? Okay, great. Thank you, Sarah. Um, okay, now's the time for pu um, for public expression. Open time for public expression. This is for anyone who wants to address the Planning Commission on items that are not currently on today's agenda. Great. 
Moving on. <laughs> Item four, short-term rental ordinance update workshop. Kathleen. No, take Can I? Um, Sarah. Hmm? Sorry, Commissioner Desser. I just w I want to disclose that I, okay. that I have, uh, for more than 30 years, had a vacation rental in Marshall. Um, so I just wanted to be on the record with that. Uh, good, thank you. So I'll introduce the item uh, before turning this over to Kathleen, who has been working on this uh, very extensively for several months now. Uh, this is uh, an item that is really, you, you don't have a decision before you uh, around short-term rentals at this time. Uh, but we felt like it is an item that uh, that we really wanted to hear your commission weigh in on, you know, early and often. Uh, this is a very important policy effort uh, for us in the Community Development Agency and in the county, and it uh, it ties back to what I, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, which is the housing element. Uh, we are, as you will hear from Kathleen in a moment, you know, really taking our consideration of short-term rentals to uh, a, a little bit higher level uh, than we have in the past in this county. And the reason is connected to matters of housing supply and housing affordability. Um, in considering all of the housing issues that we have uh, so deeply over the last many, many months, uh, you know, we really need to look at the entire picture and understand how does the matter of um, people using residential property uh, for, you know, partially or in many cases entirely a visitor serving use. How is that playing into the overall matter of housing supply, housing affordability, and community issues, especially in small communities in West Marin? Uh, you know, in, uh, in, in some locations, the, the numbers that you're going to hear about of uh, units that are in short-term rental use might not make a big difference. But when you're talking about some, some really small communities like the villages that we have in West Marin, it really does uh, play into the overall feel of a community. And that's some of the feedback that we were starting to hear, um, or not just starting, had been hearing for some time now. Um, and so uh, we, working with Supervisor Radoni, felt like for all of these reasons around um, our housing picture and our community pictures, um, needed to really fully explore uh, all of the various issues with, with short-term rentals. And, uh, you know, we, we are not looking to... Uh, this is not a black and white issue for us. This is not a matter of we should have no vacation rentals, we should have unlimited vacation rentals. When we talk about thinking about uh, future regulations, well, uh, that is really what we are talking about, of managing um, this activity and this use in light of broader county goals. Uh, and so that's what you're gonna hear about uh, from Kathleen. You know, this is, this is really a background discussion to start bringing your commission into talking about this issue so that as we start bringing forward our policy recommendations, we can really be sure that they're accurately reflecting uh, your perspectives on them 
and also that uh, you can continue weighing in and, uh, and informing what we ultimately bring to the board and to the Coastal Commission. So with that, I'll turn it over to Kathleen. Thank you and good afternoon, Chair and Commissioners. Could we bring up the presentation for this afternoon? Awesome. Can we go to the next slide, please? So as Sarah noted, I just wanted to kind of update you on the workshop goals for this afternoon. We do not have regulations that are up for consideration at this point. This is a component of our outreach, and we want to provide an opportunity for the public to really provide some feedback. So the goals today are that we'll share some short-term rental background information. Uh, and to note, I might switch between short-term rental and STR. They are the same thing. Um, we will provide a project timeline, uh, discuss the outreach efforts to date, and share the results of our survey. And then the goal is that the Planning Commission will ask questions of staff and hold time for public comment. Uh, and again, please note, no regulations are considered today. We will be bringing um, draft regulations after additional public outreach uh, to you sometime late summer or early fall. Next slide. So just to provide a little background, uh, the Board of Supervisors first adopted short-term rental regulations in 2018. Uh, as part of those regulations, they uh, really kind of started with a, a baseline of just providing some good neighbor policies, requiring that an applicant or an operator obtain a business license and a transient occupancy or TOT certificate. Um, some good neighbor policies that were included were uh, asking folks to comply with existing county regulations around parking, emergency access, trash, and noise. And it also asked that folks identify a local contact person. That local contact person is meant to respond to any issues that may arise uh, within a timely manner. And if a local contact person is not you know, able to be contacted or if the issues aren't solved, we also contracted with a third party hotline called host compliance where folks could submit complaints or raise issues the hotline could then contact the host or um, take a record and the county would then receive the complaint and follow up accordingly and then um, in 2020 we realized that there were some limitations to the manner in which the local contact person contact information could be made available to staff. So we went back and uh, made one minor change to the ordinance to uh, tie the local contact person information to the TOT certificate instead of the business license because business licenses have um, some confidentiality clauses around them. So the Department of Finance wasn't able to share that information with us. When we brought that minor change to the board in 2020, we heard from a number of members of the public um, who wanted us to go further with regulations. Uh, it was the summer of 2020, we were in the height of the pandemic, and we really felt like we couldn't do the necessary outreach like we are today. We wouldn't have been able to get together in this room. And so we, we took a pause and we waited for a time uh, that we could uh, get together and really discuss this issue. 
or item topic. I don't necessarily <laughs> want to frame it as an issue, pardon me. Uh, and then if we can go to the next slide. Uh, so then um, the uh, county uh, in May of 2019, oh my goodness, 2022, what, time, what day? Yeah, 2022, um, adopted an urgency ordinance and also known as an emergency ordinance that changed between the two. Um, due to workforce housing concerns, um, the board asked that we bring forward this ordinance that placed a temporary ban on the issuance of new short-term rental licenses. So the licenses to operate a short-term rental include a business license and a TOT certificate. Uh, and so that applied in the West Marin area. Um, also, you know, this area is also known as the uh, Measure W area, where there is a higher TOT rate, uh, given the number of visitors that, that visit that area of the county. Uh, this moratorium is in place until May 23, uh, 23rd, uh, 2024. And um, unless we adopt re uh, regulations before that, we don't necessarily anticipate that that will be the case. So the moratorium is in effect, and we um, understand that it is uh, difficult and, and creating issues for some folks, but we have um, heard from our board that they would like this moratorium to remain. Uh, next slide, please. So the goal is to get some regulations in place so that we can either lift the moratorium or we can you know, allow for the use of short-term rentals again, subject to the new regulations that we adopt. Uh, but uh, because of the uh, complicated nature of planning in the coastal zone, the Coastal Commission will have to approve any regulations that we put forward. Uh, as a result, we do have to break this outreach, or this approach, this uh, ordinance update into two phases. So the goal is that we will bring forward regulations for the coastal zone first. Uh, we have about 870 short-term rentals in the county. Uh, 568 of them are within the coastal zone, so this really is the majority of our um, short-term rentals at the moment. So we do think that you know we are capturing a lot of uh, the num capturing a lot of the the operations that are currently licensed um, as part of this. Uh, so what we'll do is uh, bring forward regulations by in the fall and hopefully hope to submit them to the Coastal Commission by the end of the year. And then um, while the Coastal Commission is reviewing our regulations and preparing their materials for the Coastal Commission hearing, we'll move on to the second phase, which will be the regulations for those areas outside of the coastal zone. There are 305 short-term rentals in this area, about 35% of our housing, or our, our short-term rental stock. And um, the goal is to have regulations for both the coastal zone and the areas outside of the coastal zone approved by the end of this moratorium date. Next slide, please. So here's that schedule for phase one. Uh, we're currently in our public outreach phase. That's included you know, meeting with folks, conducting a survey, uh, following up with people. We are meeting with uh, 
other agencies that have short-term rental regulations in place. We're meeting with other agency staff. Um, so for example, you won't see that there's a lot of conversation around emergency preparedness, and that's because we feel like emergency preparedness information and regulations should come from the Office of Emergency Management and our fire department. Um, so we are working you know, internally, externally to try and do as much outreach as we can. Um, there's a lot of interest in this, this topic. Uh, we had a survey where over 500 people indicated that they'd like to participate in a focus group. Uh, 500 people is too many for us to conduct focus groups, but um, we are going to, you know, when we, we let folks know we, we did not select them, we're gonna offer the opportunity to meet and discuss any concerns they may have if they're part of a you know, community group or homeowners association and they'd like to meet as a larger group, we're willing to, to go to those meetings and work with, work with you and discuss things. So just putting that out there. And then the goal is that we'll have a public draft available by the end of July. Uh, it could be, you know, early August, but we're really hoping for the end of July. And then we will host public meetings where people can come and discuss the regulations, the draft regulations that we've put forward, ask questions of staff, further discuss them. That will be happening as well. And then we will uh, try and get that next draft together and bring it to your commission uh, by August or November. Uh, within, you know, like I said, late summer, um, early fall. So that's kind of the goal. And then again, submit to the Coastal Commission by the end of the year. Next slide, please. So I just kind of touched on some of the outreach that we've done around with the survey. Um, additionally, just wanted to let you know what we've done to date, and that includes five learning sessions that we hosted in the fall. Those were uh, district-wide uh, meetings, so we had one for each district where people were able to come and start to understand uh, this topic and ask questions. We really learned from the community, and we learned, uh, we hope they learned some things from us as well. I think one of the big takeaways from uh, the outreach that we did at the beginning is that we really got an understanding of how people use short-term rentals. You know, you have folks who are uh, living in a home and renting out a room and um, using it as a way to supplement their, their income to be able to afford to live here. You have uh, people who have had homes in their family for generations and they've been using them as uh, short-term rentals and it also helps them maintain the property you know especially in the coastal zone you've got the the ocean and it's uh, it's a lot of upkeep and um, then we also know that there are, are people who don't visit and uh, use the property and uh, and operate uh, full-time short-term rental those seem to be kind of the three main main topics that or main uh, ways people use their property but we'll hear today more about how th they feel about that um, we had, uh, also at this, this learning sessions, we really got a lot of feedback about the moratorium and the, the, you know, hardship it was placing on people and the difficulties around it. So we offered to host a, um, a short-term rental moratorium meeting at the end of January. We had over 200 people attend that meeting, so it was a, a popular meeting and we he heard a lot and learned a lot. Um, we hope that that feedback that we receive will improve our outreach and communication for all of the planning initiatives that we have. Uh, but again, we have not heard from the board that there's interest in, in lifting the moratorium. Uh, I've attended uh, Supervisor Adoni's 
uh, spring office hours. Sarah went to Supervisor Radoni's fall office hours. Those were good opportunities for us to hear the questions that community members have and, and kind of connect on one-on-one -on -one after those meetings ended. So that was some good outreach that we've done as well. As I noted, we've offered to meet with community groups. Uh, that offer still remains uh, to this date. Uh, the only uh, people that have taken us up on that is the Dillon Beach Neighborhood Group. So we had a meeting with them in March. And there's also a, a group of uh, residents of West Marin who have also kind of self-formed and, and have asked to meet with us as well. Uh, again, we, we have a survey and that closed on May 2nd, and so we'll get a little bit into that as well. And um, we'll be conducting interviews with uh, stakeholders as well, So and have been to date. Like I apologize that the captions are covering who we've spoken to so far, but that was highlighting the um, you know, utility providers and emergency folks that we've discussed with these regulations with. Uh, next slide, please. So I'm gonna get into the survey. This is gonna kind of be the last component of this presentation before we open it up to discussion and, and public comment. Um, first off, thank you everyone who, who filled out a survey. Uh, we had 2,467 respondents. It's pretty high for CDA's work. Um, of those 2,467 responses, 1,191 of them identified as living within the unincorporated areas. Uh, 1,276 respondents indicated that they lived in a city or town in Marin, and 416 uh, indicated that they lived outside the county. Uh, 32 folks did not um, indicate where they live, but we s still feel like it's a pretty good uh, number to, to reflect some of the concerns and uh, hopes that people have around short-term rentals. Next slide, please. So we asked um, 10 questions. Uh, there is an 11th question that had open-ended response. This uh, next few slides will focus on the 10 questions. Um, and let me just turn to that real quick because of the captions. So I just wanted to kind of go through and walk you through um, the responses that we had from the survey. So the first question we asked uh, was it was more of a statement and whether folks agreed with it or not. The um, responses ranged from strongly agree to strongly disagree. Uh, and so the first one was there should be a limit on the number of short-term rentals allowed in the unincorporated areas of the county. Um, as you'll see, we've broken down the responses by all responses and then those who indicated that they lived within the unincorporated areas. So from all responses, uh, about 30% uh, strongly agreed that there should be uh, a limit on the number of short-term rentals. 11% agreed, 13% were neutral, 18% uh, disagreed, and 28% strongly disagreed. And then when you look at the unincorporated responses, you'll see that there's uh, larger support with 50% strongly agreeing, 14% uh, agreeing, 0% are um, neutral, 14% uh, disagree, and 22% strongly disagree. I hope that we take these into consideration when we start thinking about those regulations as well. And then I, on the next slide, I just kind of wanted to group them in a little bit easier way to, to understand, but I did, I did just put those who agreed together 
versus those who disagreed or neutral, no responses. Um, and so just take a moment to let you all look at that. Next slide, please. Our second question, or I don't, a sentence, pardon me, was the county should establish different regulations for hosted short-term rentals uh, where the primary occupant stays on site while the property is rented and those who operate whole house short-term rentals where no host is on site. We ask this question because it's a pretty common way that short-term rental regulations are established. Um, most um, agencies in California that we've looked into uh, have different regulations for hosted where the person's on site, renting out a room, maybe an accessory structure or something, uh, versus a, a whole house. Um, so when we look at the all responses, we have 15% who strongly agree, 15% who agree, 26% are neutral, 14% disagree, and 30% strongly disagree. 1% did not provide a response. The unincorporated areas, again, I think you'll continue to see that there is more support for limits and regulations in the unincorporated area responses over the overall responses. Uh, so we've got 45% who strongly agree, 19% who agree, 13% who disagree, and 23% who strongly disagree. Next slide, please. That's the same question again with the um, agree and disagree grouped together. I'll pause here for a moment again. Next slide, please. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting feedback that I don't have to go through every um, response vote, so I'm just trying to consider those who may not um, have the you know strong like the ability to to read it, but um, I'll just again then take a moment and kind of summarize that short term. This one is short term rental owners should only be allowed to operate one short term rental. Um, as I noted, you'll generally see more support for regulations in the unincorporated areas, but I do think it's interesting to see where there's a lower number of support. And, and this is one of, one of those that didn't have as strong as a, a response as other questions. Next slide, please. Next slide. There should be a limit on the number of short-term rentals by community. Uh, we kind of kept this one vague because community can mean a lot of things for different people. Um, but I think when we're talking about um, establishing limits on a number of short-term rentals by community, it would be those villages. So establishing you know, a, a limit for Dillon Beach, for uh, San Geronimo, or you know, unincorporated Mill Valley really spans um, the county as a whole. And um, we've seen some places that have you know, bigger swaths of area that ca are captured in um, those in those caps and limits, but we do think it would probably be preferred to have it be on a community or village by village basis. Next slide, please. And you can see that um, in the unincorporated areas, there's a 57% support for that. All responses has 42%. Next slide, please. 
Next slide. This may be our most unpopular um, response and heard, <laughs> um, but this is that the county should require a local property manager or a vacation rental company to manage whole house short-term rentals. We um, put this question out because we noticed that when we receive complaints, um, they are from places that people that don't have a local contact person that's really nearby, or um, it, they're not they're not as involved. I think we see that the property managers who run short-term rentals aren't um, are, are, are managing their properties a little bit better than those who aren't. So that was something that we just wanted to consider. Uh, but again, not a lot of support for that. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that even in the unincorporated areas, there's 38%. One of my favorite responses was like, I like my property manager, but don't make me have one. So <laughs> I think that it, it's definitely um, something that we, we understand. So thank you. Next slide. Uh, Short-term rental owners should have to show that their property meets basic safety standards. So at question number six, we got into more operating requirements instead of you know discussing limits and um, basic building safety standards such as, you know, life safety, ingress, egress, smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors are the kind of things that we're thinking about. We want to make sure that um, short-term rentals are in safe, habitable places. Um, so then you can see, even from the all responses, that there is more support around operating requirements than limits. Uh, so we, we jump up to 40% support from all responses on um, properties meeting basic uh, building safety requirements. Next slide. You can see here too, again, 64% strongly agree, 66% the unincorporated areas strongly agree or agree. Next slide. Short-term rental owners should have to show that their property meets basic septic system standards. Uh, we recognize that not all short-term rentals are on septic, but for those who are, we do feel that there should be a functioning septic system on the property, and most folks generally agree with that as well. If you go to the next slide, you can see that in the, from all responses, 62% agree, and the unincorporated areas, you've got 70%. Sorry, I just want to break in here about the septic one because it might seem like this is kind of an obvious thing, and every property ought to have a septic system that's meeting uh, basic standards. Uh, we don't have records on about a third of the septic systems in the county, so uh, this is something that, uh, you know, we really don't have that level of certainty uh, around uh, to, to be able to function as if it's a given. Just wanted to clarify that point. Thanks. Next slide, please. Short-term rental owners should have to show that their property has enough on-site parking. Currently, um, the requirement is that you meet DPW's parking standards. So um, it may be that you know your home was built in the 70s and the parking requirements weren't as high, um, or you got some sort of variance to not provide parking. Um, and today, 
I think there's like an, a, a general feeling that people should provide on-site parking, whether or not the home was required to have parking at the time it was constructed. Um, that's kind of what we were getting to. I think enough may have been somewhat vague, um, but that was the intention of this question. If you go to the next slide, um, you'll see that um, all responses had 61% who strongly agreed or agreed, and the unincorporated was at 67%. Next slide. No, number nine is that the county should require short-term rental owners to have adequate su water supply and water conservation measures in place. Um, we've seen regulations that establish a limit on the average number of gallons per day that um, short-term rentals should be able to use. And if um, they exceed that limit, they then ask that the property owner establishes a water conservation plan to show how they're going to reduce their water. So we don't necessarily have all of the answers around how that water conservation measure would be in place. Um, there's flexibility in reducing your overall water use, uh, whether you're you know, a property owner who's not operating a short-term rental or you are. Um, people are definitely thinking about water use as a whole. And um, for example, you know, the Estero Mutual Water Company in Dillon Beach has indicated that if they didn't receive the rain they got this year, they would have run out of water. So in some places, water is a, is a big issue. Some places, not so much. But we want to uh, be considerate of that and have, we'll be talking to uh, utility providers to better understand their concerns around this topic. And you'll see also that um, there's generally support for these requirements as well. If you go to the next slide, you'll see 62% of all responses are generally supportive of this, and 69% of the unincorporated uh, folks are supportive of it. And next slide. This is our final question. Um, again, maybe of all the operating questions besides uh, the property manager, not as strongly popular, but this was about um, requiring owners to show that their property has an enclosed trash storage. Uh, we receive a, a number of uh, complaints around trash. It's probably the most popular complaint that we've received. And so we were thinking, like, well, what if trash was enclosed? But really, it seems like the issue is not that trash is enclosed. It's that the trash is going out on a Sunday and it's not getting picked up till later in the week. So it's not probably the right approach to ensuring that uh, trash is properly managed, but we can also work with the environmental health services to further discuss and establish how that could be uh, improved upon. Uh, if you go to the next slide, you'll see again, all responses tracking a little bit lower than the other ones, 41%. And then the unincorporated areas, 55%. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Um, and you, that really uh, concludes the questions that we asked around that. The other ones were, um, were um, more associated with, uh, pardon me, the last question was an open-ended question. I just kind of want to summarize what's in the staff report. I think that the big takeaways was that 
there is support for community-based regulations. Uh, One-size-fit-all approach for regulations is not going to work. What works for Dillon Beach may not work for Bellinas, and that's something that was pretty strongly conveyed in the, in the responses. Um, additionally, we received a lot of um, communications from folks that there's not support for regulations and that the county should focus their efforts in other places, and if we're concerned about housing, um, we should build more housing. Uh, the, the, uh, I, don't, I don't think we disagree <laughs> that more housing should be built, but um, the housing element component of the short-term rental uh, policies and programs is really associated with existing housing stock and finding ways to preserve the existing housing stock. So while we agree that more housing needs to be built and we're in a housing crisis, this is, this is more focused around the existing house, houses we do have. Um, there's concerns that regulations will have an adverse effect on the economy. Uh, we recognize that a lot of people uh, benefit from the use of short-term rentals, whether they're using a whole house or whether they're using it to afford to live in this area, uh, or that they're cleaning the short-term rentals or help maintain, maintaining the properties or visiting the restaurants. You know, it, it is a, a component of our economy, and we're aware of that. And that also is part of our guiding principles for this work. Uh, there's concern that long-term housing will not be made available uh, as a result of further regulations, um, and that uh, you know a house is just going to really sit vacant. They're not. There's not an interest in you know turning it into a long-term rental. It's people who are using their properties part time, and so how would you have a renter if um, you know you're going to be there as well? So that's something that we we heard a lot from. Uh, there's generally support for hosted short-term rentals. I don't think that people really view that as the issue. I think it's those whole house short-term rentals that people are most concerned about housing, you know, as a speculative housing, those sort of things, not necessarily the person renting out um, a room in their home to, to a visitor. Uh, there's support for long-term housing over short-term rentals. Uh, communities want community members. Communities want neighbors. Uh, people want to be able to borrow a cup of sugar from somebody who lives on the same street as them. And sometimes that's not possible when they have a number of short-term rentals around them. Uh, there's a desire to place limits on short-term rentals. Um, uh, there's on top of the ones that we pre presented, such as guest limits or nightly caps, we do find those to be harder to enforce. And in speaking with other people who are regulating short-term rentals in their cities and towns or counties, that is one of the harder things to enforce. Uh, there's the support for more construction of ADUs and support um, the, and the need from the county to support this as well. That was mentioned often. Um, I know that there are some people that have considered that you know you could you could build an accessory dwelling unit and have somebody living in that while you rent out the main unit. Um, but as you know, again, there's there's a lot of uh, complexity around accessory dwelling units at the state level when they establish certain regulations, like that you can't use an accessory dwelling unit as a short-term rental. So that's something, again, that we would have issues enforcing. There's concern that there are not enough short-term rentals and that the county should allow and or encourage more of them. So while some think that there are too many, there are others that think we need more and, and that 
that's a valid feeling. Um, there's a concern that this will result in a loss of vacation and lodging options. You know, many respondents visit Marin and stay in short-term rentals and would like to continue to do so. Um, the Coastal Commission has also historically identified them as a uh, low-cost visitor-serving accommodation. So there's a mix of, um, you know, opinions around uh, that use. Um, there's support for striking a balance between local community and equitable access to the coast. I think a lot of folks recognize that there cannot be a ban on short-term rentals and that they, they do serve an affordable, um, as an affordable means of, of coming and visiting the coast. And finally, there are concerns that um, new regulations will adversely affect those who currently operate short-term rentals. Again, if we're thinking about the person who's renting out a room in their home, if suddenly we say you've got to you know, have a functioning septic system and they're just basically meeting, making ends meet you know, with a fixed income and, and using a short-term rental as a way to afford that, how, how will they uh, improve the septic system? So that's something that we need to think about that these um, will have financial repercussions. These regulations could have final, uh, financial repercussions and how can we support people who want to continue to live in these homes? And with that, um, I think I'll conclude my presentation and if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to let us know and we'll continue on. And just thank you, Kathleen. Just one final word before we get into that. Um, I was very remiss in not welcoming our new commissioners, uh, Commissioner Morales and Commissioner Sipanisich. <laughs> yes. <Got it. laughs> uh, and uh, you will you will hear today that uh, this is a topic that people are very passionate about. I see some familiar faces from some of our outreach events in the in the audience, and uh, this is. Uh, kind of uh, for everybody to hear that uh, this, this is a very hot topic here, as you can understand from the survey responses, and rightly so. This is about people's communities. This is about people's livelihoods. Um, people feel it's important. I, I, I do want to remind um, all of our members of the public who have come here today that uh, I, you know, we have our, uh, our structure for comment and uh, everybody's, uh, everybody has a chance to speak and uh, can share their perspectives uh, in the allotted time, but um, make sure that we're, we're all respectful of each other's perspectives here. Thanks, Sarah, and thanks, Kathleen, great job. Uh, commissioners, anyone have questions for Kathleen or Sarah? Commissioner Desser. Yeah, when we get to the sort of substantive stuff later, I'll ask that. But my question now is, uh, what, who determined that a focus group was a good idea? The reason I ask is this. First of all, I think it is so commendable, the amount of outreach that you guys are doing. It's yeah. like uh, exactly the opposite of what we saw with the housing element. And I think there cannot be too much public participation and there can't be too much outreach with regard to this issue. And we can see just from the people that are actually here, and there's probably lots of people watching um, on Granicus too. But focus groups are usually about crafting a message then for a campaign as opposed to um, outreach and conversation with people. So why was it... I mean, unless you have a different idea about a focus group, I'm just sort of wondering why it's a good idea to spend t 
time and money on a focus group as opposed to getting with those 500 people in other ways and actually having conversations with them. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, I would say that when we initially started thinking about updating the short-term rental ordinance, we had a lot of big, lofty goals, and focus groups were one of them. And you know, we thought we could engage with the public a little bit earlier. I think we, I, I know, I know, I grossly underestimated the amount of effort it takes to do this outreach and to get groups together and have conversations. So the focus group has somewhat changed, and I would say that we're actually not referring to it as a focus group internally. Um, it just seemed like a, a you know. A, it, I'm, I'm learning it's more of a term of art. We're going more towards facilitated group discussions. Um, and uh, it really is a small group. So we've got a small group for um, the coastal area, and then we have a group of people who live outside of the coastal area representing different areas of the county. And it's really more going to be an opportunity to present some ordinance considerations and get some feedback on what those could mean, right? So we're asking questions like, should there be you know, water conservation measures in place? But with that group, we'll have conversations like, this is what water conservation could look like. Those sort of things are going to get discussed. It's more getting into the meat of the substance. It's not a focus group. I would agree with your statement. Uh, uh, Sorry, I, I just wanted to add to that, too. Just this is such a, uh, you know, this is such a, complicated and layered issue and we wanted to have mechanisms to do a deep dive into certain aspects of it so you know we, we wanted to understand uh, how this ties to agritourism and the agricultural industry and those pieces of it because we don't want to end up with regulations that have unintended consequences because mm -hmm. we didn't because uh, we just didn't understand the full stakeholder issue. Well, I know that it's more time and trouble, but um, if those 500 people want to participate in different ways, you know, I'd figure out ways to have 50 groups of 10 and conversations with staff. I think it's that important. And, and wherever we end up, we want community support for it, community buy-in, and a real op which I think you're doing this is in no way critical, but uh, there's such interest in it. It needs, wherever we end up, it needs to be with the support of the community, and so the more people that can really feel like they were engaged and listened to, especially when they've said that they wanna be, um, you know, if we could do it, I think it would be really great. Commissioner Dickinson. I had uh, <clears throat> two questions at this point. And the first is, I was interested in reading through the staff report and the, um, uh, the ordinance that adopted the um, current uh, short-term rental uh, regulations that I don't recall that the Planning Commission historically was involved in this discussion. We've had general okay. comments at the Commission about the need to look at short-term rentals, but it seems to me both in uh, 2018 and 2020 that the issue, the ordinance actually never even came to the Planning Commission. Is there a reason for that? I, so I, I don't believe that it did. And I would say there's, I, we, Kathleen can elaborate on this further, but really the ordinance, uh, the county has not primarily looked at short-term rental as a land use or planning issue or housing issue. Uh, it has been looked at more from the standpoint of the good neighbor issues, the business, uh, you know, the transient occupancy yeah. tax issues. And so 
it's uh, it's kind of only when we're bringing this lens to it did I think it become really apparent how important it was to bring the planning commission into this conversation. So that's I, I that's one piece. Although I I was not with the county at the time that that decision was made. I think we wanted to bring it to your commission this time around, you know, in part, as I say, because this is something that we are really looking at now as a land use issue. Uh, and also, uh, we do want to uh, start bringing more and more of these major policy issues to you early, early in the game uh, and kind of bring you into this work in a different way. I, I appreciate that approach, and I just couldn't remember us ever yeah. dealing with the specifics of short-term rentals. And uh, again, I, I appreciate your current approach to that. Second one was that um, I actually inherited a vacation um, house in Sonoma County in Guerneville. Um And short-term rentals are a big issue up there. Uh, and Sonoma County currently has a moratorium uh, just like Marin, I think they were a little bit ahead of Marin in terms of adopting a moratorium. And when I watched the board hearings, they made um, a real distinction that their moratorium ordinance covers the entire county with the exception of the coastal zone. Because during that hearing, the staff, and I think it was uh, Tennis Wick, um, uh, indicated the Coastal Commission obviously favors visitor serving uses and short-term rentals tend to be visitor-serving uses, and therefore they couldn't adopt a moratorium over the coastal zone area. So Dillon Beat, uh, um, Bodega Bay, um, um, uh, Jenner, Timber Cove, um, Sea Ranch, which are um, heavy vacation rental um, locations, had to be excluded from their moratorium. Did the county get a different opinion from the Coastal Commission? So Sonoma County's moratorium, uh, they put it, they had been working on their short-term rental regulations for some time uh, and didn't put a moratorium into place until they were much closer to actually adopting regulations. Part of the reason being that they saw a big uptick in short-term rentals coming in uh, as people were readying themselves for the moratorium to go into place. And so that was sort of their history, and of course they have more short-term rentals going on outside of their coastal zone than we do proportionately. So uh, we, uh, you know, we started this effort by trying to stabilize the situation uh, by recommending that the board consider a moratorium, uh, and that is something that as an emergency ordinance is a temporary measure. We were not, uh, we were not eliminating any short-term rentals and so we communicated with the Coastal Commission um, and you know they they uh, understood and were aligned with with our approach and so that was that was how and we went about it they will need to they will need to approve uh, as Kathleen said anything uh, that goes forward in the coastal zone we did see a big uh, we did see a lot of people coming in, applying for the licenses I, before the moratorium was put into place. We put out a lot of public notice 
uh, to let people know that it was coming so that they could have the chance to get their license uh, prior to the moratorium. Actually, that very last week I received a notice from Sonoma County about a permit, and they their moratorium um, allowed any applications that were pending to, to be processed. And here's one I just approved out of that group of hundreds and hundreds that they got just before the moratorium. Did that same situation happen in Marin? Or did we, I don't. So we were following along with what was happening in Sonoma County and we saw that when they started to get to the point to adopt the regulations, that's when they saw that, that increase in people um, submitting and, and they had made a lot of decisions on the, uh, on the understanding that they had a, the set number and then they had to go back and change those, um, right? So it's like we're looking at the percentage of you know, short-term rentals to our communities and suddenly the, that number went up and they had to kind of readjust. So it was our intention to set the number and then do the work to actually you know, plan and, and make regulations without that changing. I can say though, you know, that on the Eastern Corridor, there, there have been uh, more short-term rentals added, but that will be reflected in the materials that we bring forward when we have um, draft regulations. But when we, but the way that the moratorium uh, requirements worked was that you needed to have submitted the application by a certain date, and the business license gets turned around pretty quickly. Uh, and so it was just kind of a little bit of an apples and oranges with the kind of regulations that Sonoma has. Thank you. Thanks. Yep. Commissioner Curran. Um, yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I just had a couple, I think a couple of quick questions. Um, in the staff report, under, uh, in one of your charts, um, on phone number page, um, couple, uh, couple, couple pages, talks about um, commercial accommodations by use, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. And I may just be uh, reading the numbers wrong or something. For bed and, I'm sorry, is that better? <coughs> um, just, um, I just want to make sure I understand what the numbers are. Um, for bed and breakfast, it says that there are 27 bed and breakfasts, if I'm understanding it correct, that, but with the total number of units of 43, which is less than two per bed and breakfast. Am, am I just reading that wrong? or The, the number of, t of commercial visitor accommodations, I'm sorry for not, not further explaining that, is the number of parcels that have this use on them. And then within that, that land, within that parcel or property, you could have more than one living unit. And so the, the, the bed and breakfast could, you know, take up, uh, you know, two units. Additionally, it could be uh, a bedroom or some other, you know, structure or something like that. Um, the, this commercial visitor accommodations by community I should note, is from the Department of Finance, and it's a self-reported information. Um, we tried to clean up the data as much as we can when it came to the um, self-reported information. Like, for example, somebody would be operating a short-term rental, and they may have five bedrooms on the property, but they indicated they had five units. Um, but in reality, they were, had one unit with five bedrooms, so we, we just adjusted um, the information accordingly. So this is more about the number of units 
on that prop on, on the total property. So there's 27 properties that have bed and breakfasts, and they indicate that they accommodate you know 43 um, units. Okay, thank you. I think I understood that. Um, and then in the chart right just below that, um, I just, uh, uh, regarding numbers, for it shows that um, this is the Marin County Visitors Bureau um, STR report. Uh, and for occupancy rate um, in the years, I guess, uh, 2021 and 22, the rate is higher each year. So, uh, um, and for average daily rate, the rate is higher each year. But the income is much lower in 22. And what, what is the what is the explanation for that? That may have been me flipping the the table. I'm part, pardon me. My apologies. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll check yeah. we'll check that and get back. Thanks. Work to clarify Thanks. that. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I did might just, just want to. Yeah. Yeah. I did just want to note that. Um, I, the source is listed as the Marin uh, Visitor Bureau, but then when you go to the Marin Visitor Bureau report, that information um, is from the Department of Finance. And I think this is actually something that we should probably touch on in that it will become a continuous thing that we'll, we'll be discussing, is that the definition of a short-term rental for the Department of Finance includes any short-term rental of property. That includes campsites, hotels, motels, inns, and so it's very difficult to sometimes separate the data, especially around financial information, um, from the land use that we're discussing, which is the residential use of property as a short, on a short-term basis. Um, we can change that moving forward, but we have not been collecting data that separates those two. And so it's sometimes difficult to really get into like the nitty gritty discussions around the financial element because of the way that they have defined short-term rental. Um, so we should definitely keep that in mind as we continue to work um, on this okay. topic. Yeah, great. Yes, because in the correspondence, a lot of people raise the issue about yeah, yeah, we definitely have received comments like you should just be able to look at the information that your Department of Finance has, and we have we have tried to work with them to find that information, but it has been it has been tricky. Thank thank you, but but gen generally the information was very clear and helpful. I appreciate it. Okay, yeah, Commissioner Lind. Yes, I have two questions. First, um, what are you looking for from the commission today? Are given the the schedule with the first public draft by the end of July? Are you looking for some direction um, on substantive issues or is our primary purpose here to, uh, to be educated? To, uh, is it a briefing? And, um, and we're here to listen to the public comment and receive information from the staff. It's the latter, what you just the explained. The latter, okay. Yeah. That, I just wanted to be clear because I think that will make a difference in the kind of questions that we may generate. And then the second question I have is in the current zoning ordinance are Airbnbs, excuse me, bread and breakfast treated the same as short-term rentals? No, the land use is different. The land use is, that's okay. So bed and breakfast is a commercial, commercial use. It would be transient habitation like a hotel. Is that correct? Yeah, they're, they're subject to different regulations. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that as we understand these tables and what the data means. Any other commissioners have questions for Commissioner Stefanosic? Yes, just one question. Do we know the percentage of uh, residences in the coastal zone that are used as long-term rentals at this time? 
We do not. I have a clarifying question. Mr. Marias. Um, thank you. Sorry. I have a clarifying question. So uh, when you broke down the phase approach, phase one and phase two, you gave us a number of 568 short-term rental properties. That includes um, host and like the whole household, right? And that's out of how many properties within those areas? I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding that on the table as well. Yeah, so um, the table um, on, the first, on the first one, the residential short-term rental by community, the way that we've broken it down, yeah, is the coastal zone, West Marin communities outside of the coastal zone, so you can kind of see, you know, which areas under the um, Measure W area are outside of the coastal zone, and then East Marin communities. We've identified the community and then the number of short-term rentals, and then the parcels developed with living units, that is the number of properties that are um, currently developed with living units, not just short-term rentals, but the entirety. So, you know, in Dillon Beach, there are 408 properties that are developed with living units, and then you've got 125 short-term rentals, and so that's the, that last column is the percentage of parcels used as short-term rentals. So it's not, it's not capturing every parcel that may have more than one unit, but it's just identifying the number of parcels that do have uh, residential living unit on the property. Is that, did that clarify it? Okay. Um, and I do have another question. I'm wondering if you guys have a data on how many people have um, housing insecurity within those areas. The Department of, uh, I mean, pardon me, our housing, we could, we could talk to our housing team about that information. Thank you. Good question. I do, I do want to mention uh, in our housing element, uh, one of the things that we need to do is track uh, housing within the coastal zone in terms of how much housing has been added in the zone. Uh, and so our housing element notes that in the coastal zone over the last, uh, I think it ended up being about 12 years, a very small number of actual housing units were were added, you know, there was net addition of a very small number of housing units, something like under 10, uh, whereas we have, you know, as, uh, as Kathleen mentioned, close to 600 housing units in short-term rental use. That's not to say that all of those housing units were, uh, were ever in longer-term housing, but uh, there's sort of, you can see there's, um, you know, a lot going on in terms of housing supply that's related to short-term rental in the coastal zone. I also want to um, note that we, as part of our outreach and engagement, we have um, reached out to our community land trusts who kind of, you know, take on the large role in um, helping those who are searching for affordable housing in um, West Marin. And uh, we've also are working with the West Marin Community Services to put together a facilitated group discussion um, with some farm workers and more of the working population that support um, you know, commercial operations in West Marin. So that is um, something that we definitely want to hear from, we, people we want to hear from, um, people we've historically not engaged with and reached out to. Uh, and we'll be um, you know, providing translation services as part of that, that conversation so that we can have uh, a mix of perspectives and different cultural backgrounds as well. Any other questions for staff? 
Thank you. Um, I also would be really interested to hear um, that last piece folded into whatever you present to us by the end of July, housing security especially. Yep. Okay. So um, we're going to open it up for public comment. As you can see, there are lots of you here today. Um, I have, so far, I have almost 40 speaker cards filled out each. Um, if, you ha if you would like to speak and you haven't filled out a card, they are over here. You could put down your name and they'll feed them to me. Each speaker gets three minutes. Um, I want to say two things. First of all, thank you so much for being here today and taking time out of a busy Monday to come and speak to our commission. We count a lot on public comment and we really value your opinion. And the second thing I'm going to say is that um, I understand that there's a lot of passion and feelings around these issues and I'm just going to ask you to please um, refrain from vocal comment outside of your allotted three minutes so that we can keep things moving. So I'm gonna call, you know, three names at a time and have you each come up and, you know, stand behind and wait um, to make your to make your comments. And um, you'll have three minutes and brevity is appreciated. Uh, okay, so our first three speakers are Melinda Stone, followed by Steve Rubin and Christopher Longacre. I might have pronounced that wrong. I really apologize if I don't pronounce your name properly. And also, I have all these time things up here that look like they do something, but I'm going to look at these uh, the electronic ones and you'll notice that when your time is almost up a little yellow light will light up there and then when your time is done a little red light will pop up so Melinda Stone thank you I'm not sure how I was selected first uh, <laughs> here I am uh, I am a renter in the town of Bolinas and I am here as a member of the Bolinas Stinson School Foundation and you can imagine there are a number of other families who would have liked to have been here today. School is still in session in Bolinas. And uh, so I can't say I represent all the families, but a lot of the people I know who have kids in the school uh, have a lot of concern that every year we lose more families because we lose more housing in Bolinas. And this became apparent to me even before my son was in school. Uh, and so I worked really hard on um, short-term rental uh, regulations uh, back in 2014 and uh, was really an advocate of uh, what Santa, um, Santa Monica had en enlisted back um, in the early 2010s, which was that a person had to be living on site if they were to have a short-term rental. And if you look at the beginning of Airbnb, that is actually where their ethos has been. And so really wanting to bring that idea of hosting people when they come to Marin, that there is actually somebody on site. And for us in, in Bolinas at the time, as we've heard, there is different characteristics of every town. And we were the one town in West Marin at that time when we were working all together that really wanted that um, for our town because we saw it as a way to keep families there. They could be in a small unit, why the bigger unit 
uh, was being rented out. Um, my son is now in fourth grade. Uh, there are seven kids in his class. When he started in preschool, there were 18 kids. Uh, and I will say that we've um, two new families in his class have come. So we were down significantly lower to five. Those two new families are there um, in the last three years in houses that they bought and live in full time. So uh, I think that's important just to consider the characteristic of a town. We need people to be living there. And uh, we're not against short-term rentals, but really wanting to bring it back to the beginnings of that ethos of Airbnb when they first started. So thank you very much. Thank you. Steve Rubin. And... Uh followed by Christopher Longacre, Esther Martino, and Sean Okay. okay. Hi, I'm Christopher Thank Longacre. You. I'm a resident of Inverness. We have a short-term rental on our property, and we need it in order to pay the bills. But my comments are more not to take issue with any of the opinions that have been expressed over the past several months, but to congratulate everybody to having a civil discussion on all the issues, and to remember that our opinions are just opinions. They're not a factual basis. And my, my concern has always been, if there's a factual basis to support a conclusion, then you have a responsibility to pass appropriate regulations. I'm not aware of any posted or published factual basis to support that short-term rentals in the Inverness community in any way have shortened down significantly available housing, let alone affordable housing, however you guys are going to decide that. So whenever you guys get the data and you publish it, which Coastal Commission is going to require, we'd like to have it published so we can look at it and have an opportunity to check it out. And it's facts carry the day, not opinions. Um, that's my main concern. Uh, I do know in, in, in researching the law that Airbnb short-term rentals are not commercial, in, as the code is described. So having short-term rentals is part of a property owner's right. Uh, and what regulations you guys impose it's going to have to be subject to whatever the law says. So thank you very much. Thank you. You can hold your applause. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Steve Rubin. Or act to follow. So my name is Steve Rubin. I have um, uh, short-term rentals properties in, in Stenson Beach um, that I own uh, through an LLC. Um, my wife and I, who are community members, are that LLC. It's not like we're some evil empire. An LLC is just there so we don't get sued if someone falls on our property. I also own some downtown commercial property where we have some businesses and some employees. Um, I feel very passionate about you know the right to be able to have short-term rentals, but I know and I work with many people that are on the other side of the fence, and I know that um, they want what's best for the community, um, and I think that everything they do is with a kind heart, and I do appreciate that. Um, I'd like to just say that people who are interested in short-term rentals can also have a kind heart and are interested in community. Um, and every community is a little different. You know, I can speak for Stenson Beach because that's where I've been for the last 23 years. Um, it's always been a vacation rental. Before it was called Stenson Beach, it was called Willow Camp. Um, sea Downs Estate was there, and these were um, essentially camp and tent sites on the beach, and that's the origin of, of Stenson Beach. Um, there's always been a lot of families. I don't want to downgrade that. Um, when I moved there back in 2000, um, the Bolina School District wanted to close the Stenson Beach School because the population was going down so fast as far as students were concerned. And back then, I think there was only seven 
short-term rentals in Stenson Beach. There's always been a problem with housing, and there is a problem with housing, and I would like to continue to work with the, the problem, and I'd like to put my money where my mouth is and continue to volunteer, as I do already. Um, but I, don't, I think that there's not any data that shows that reducing the number of short-term rentals is going to increase the amount of long-term housing. The house that I bought was owned by a family that lived in the East Bay, and they would go out there and they would use it for vacations. And when they weren't there, it was empty, spiderwebs. So now a lot of families can buy a house and add value to it by having short-term rentals. It brings in, not only uh, opens up the coast for visitors that wouldn't afford that before, it doesn't have employment for um, gardeners and cleaners and restaurants and bookstores. Um, and a lot of those people can then also live in a community. So besides housing, you also need employment. So, you know, I'm going to say something that always gets booze. I love math. And I don't think the numbers have been shown. So you're, you're, you're taking a point. You're saying, let's get rid of short-term rentals to help the housing problem. But there hasn't been any study to show, does that even help? So like, that's the first step. Like, does this help? And how much does it help? You know, because there's 14% TOT tax out there. So if you reduce Mr. all those, Sorry, I'm done. Time, can you wrap up? Yeah, your time is up. Yeah, I'm done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Esther, Esther, Esther Martino, followed by Sean Callagy and Anna Madon. I'm sorry. Yep, Anna with an M. Thank you. I, uh, thank you for uh, hosting all of us today and hearing from us. So, you know, my name is Esther Martino, and I do have a short-term rental in Inverness. Um, I don't know why I feel emotional about this. Um, I feel like I, I am part of my community there. Uh, my neighbor recently uh, had construction done in her kitchen, and she said, can I live in your house? And I said, sure. Uh, her daughter is visiting for July 4th, and she's out of town, and they need overflow housing. And she said, can I use your unit? And I said, of course. Um, I, I employ a family in, that lives on a ranch in West Marin, and I added up the income that I gave them uh, last year, and it was over $20,000. And I am most certain that that income is helping them put their daughter through Santa Rosa Community College, is feeding them, is housing, is helping to house them, and is employing them. And I'm not the only person who is providing income to this family, who, by the way, may or may not be legal citizens, and who speak very little English. And so I don't think they can really go outside of this community and work and, and uh, be really appreciated and loved, actually. Um, uh, my housing in uh, my, uh, the short-term rental allows me to stay in West Marin myself. And I actually love that community. And without it, I really couldn't afford uh, that as I'm on a fixed income as a retiree. Um, and I just have a real affinity to this. And like what some people are saying, I don't think we're saying we want to put an end to short-term rentals. But I really think you need to look at the impact 
that it's not going to only have on the people who have short-term rentals and who live, I do live out there part-time, I go out there all the time. And I eat in restaurants and they recognize my face and I have an account at Ace Hardware and they look at me and they know who I am. And I go to the local restaurants and I can chat with people. So I'm not just sort of like this person who owns this house and is making money and doesn't care about the community. I really, really care about it. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, putting regulations, I mean, uh, I think the Coastal Commission is, is finally going to have their final say in this. I think building affordable housing out in Westmere is absolutely problematic because of the Coastal Commission, because of water, because of the septic system, because of the limited amount of land use. Um, I know that there are a lot of houses out there that are vacant, but I, for the most part, in where I live on my street, there are long-term residents. Anyway. Thank um, you. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Sean Callagy, I'm pronouncing followed by Anna M. and Molly. Yeah, thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Sean Callagy. I'm one of uh, 51 co-signers to a letter provided to you that notices some issues and deficiencies, particularly in the data presented to you in connection with today's presentation. I'm also a member of the West Marin Access Coalition. We're a group of over 125 individuals who are seeking to preserve access to the coast for all. I have been a long-term permanent resident of Inverness for a time, and now I'm not because of career reasons. I can't live there full time, but we very much maintain a connection. A short-term rental is part of how we do that. I have a few points for your consideration today. First, Marin's local coastal plan requires that you give a high priority to the needs of visitors and recognizes that overnight accommodations are a key element of that, especially low-cost accommodations. The Coastal Commission has recognized when evaluating STR regulations that STRs often provide the best value for visitors, some of the lowest cost overnight accommodations, which provides access to a larger group of economically diverse visitors than can be done through hotels. The Coastal Plan even calls for expressly maintaining existing accommodations and uh, providing the development of new ones. Punitive restrictions on STRs won't help that. Second, as others have said, county staff have offered no causal data between the existence of short-term rentals and a housing shortage that goes back decades. Staff have not presented data that issues of water conservation, sewage, home safety, or other health measures are warranted based on actual complaints or actual reports. The Coastal Commission requires data, again, before enacting regulations aimed at these measures. You should ask for fulsome data, which I frankly submit hasn't been provided. Third, the county cannot heed demands by a handful of long-term residents uh, to exclude visitors and others who use and enjoy the uh, West Marin area differently. Again, uh, the Coastal Commission is there to protect the needs and views of all and not give precedence to one. And finally, the Planning Commission will be required to consider the costs of compliance and enforcement of any new restrictions. County staff hasn't presented you anything in that regard. Uh, I presume they will when they provide regulations one day, but we haven't seen it. New regulations will be burdensome to enforce and require additional county staff. That must be part of your analysis in deciding whether new regulations are warranted. 
Finally, by some estimates, over 100 local jobs are supported by STRs. You should ask yourselves, how many are you willing to see lost, like the family you just heard described, in the interest of people who are not willing to share their neighborhoods with others? I ask that you not restrict access to the coast. Thank you. Thank you. If you could withhold your applause, I would really appreciate it. Um, Anna. Thank Sorry you. about the, the uh, handwriting. It's McDonald. I, uh, I'm oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anna McDonald, I, um, have, I live in Inverness with my husband, and um, we went out to Kehoe Beach the other day, and um, it was completely empty. And it was so beautiful, and like, and I, and I obviously for us to be so lucky to be able to go out there in the middle of the day, on one of the most beautiful places you could be on the planet Earth and be just by ourselves was on the one hand, really great. We had an amazing time. But as I was there, I was thinking, how can it be that this place, which is so beautiful and which is really rel, I mean, it's not that easy to get to, and, but it's not that far from a major city, be stone empty on his day. And I think it's because of a couple things. One is that the access to Inverness is ridiculously poor for public transportation, for people to be able to get out there. But I, and so I was there, and I was like, you know what? This is nuts. We should do what we can to let people, everybody deserves the right to go there and be on that beach and enjoy it and all the beauty of Point Reyes and everything around here. And I think we need to do what we can to support it and having low, low, lower cost rather than the hotels that are there. Options for people is great. I do not have a short-term rental, so I do not have a particular dog in the hunt at the moment, but I really feel like we need to do whatever we can to ensure more fair, better access for people to enjoy what they deserve to enjoy in this incredible part of the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Molly, followed by Jennifer Golis, Elvira, and Maureen Cornelia. Thank you. Thank you. Short-term rentals are hurting our communities because they are decreasing the housing available for full-time residents. Every week we hear of community members who are losing their homes and forced to move so property owners can convert their investments into STRs. As I write this, a wonderful family of five in Bolinas is desperately looking for housing because their home is being sold as an investment. The parents of this family have both grown up in Bolinas and are huge comp contributors to our, our community. Their children go to the local school and the parents work in town. Where will they go? It is heartbreaking. Families are forced to leave. This is happening all the time and it's escalating. Who will be left to live in our communities? We need help. Please recommend to the Board of Supervisors the following common sense regulations for short-term rentals in West Marin. Enact a cap on the number of short-term rentals license, licenses specific to each village. An SDR license to be granted only to an individual family, not an LLC, investment group, timeshare group, or consortiums in residential zones. Only one SDR license per property owner in the coastal zone. I'm also at urging the future, future planning sessions have a Zoom option and are scheduled for evening so West Marin working families are able to have their voices heard. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Jennifer Golis. 
Hi, thanks for having me here today. I'm Jennifer. Um, I reside in Inverness in West Marin. Um, I commute weekly from my job at a public high school, 5013C, uh, and in Oakland, and um, I feel we're mission aligned around equity and access. Um, so some simple data. Um, but overall, I feel that short-term rental should be welcomed and not feared. In fact, I recommend we have as many as possible. They bolster the local economy. 90% of rentals are in the summer months. I know I've been operating uh, one from my home for the last five years, so I have very good data on who comes and when they come. 90% are in the summer, and that brings tax revenue that supports services such as food insecurity and medical relief. Um, and I'd like to say that one can't speak of housing access in the absence of transportation. In support of accessibility, I would urge that we fund climate responsible electric buses rather than the current 12-year plan for upgrades. Service, a route to Petaluma. It's a hub only 30 minutes away with a diverse population and ample cost-effective housing. STRs are not owned by rich people but people who need additional income. I happen to know a few very rich people and I assure you they're not renting out their rooms. <laughs> Short-term rentals support people like me. We can now work remotely part-time and people are leaving the cities. There's crime and now we have Zoom and this decentralization has created a shift in the housing market and I would defend that's the shift, not because of short-term housing. Blaming short-term rentals for price increases I feel is misplaced with no substantiated data. And I'd like to speak a little bit about my guests. Each came to West Marin for access, the adjacent national seashore. An artist came from Maine, a climate scientist came from the Central Valley who kayaked, and a young woman who was recovering from chemo spent a week on my deck and she basked in the sun wrapped in a blanket, healing. They could not have stayed for 30 days. They work, and they were deeply nourished by their time here. I feel this lobbying effort is misguided, acting in a, I hesitate to say it, because I have a lot of friends here, and I do love them, but there is a frenzy of bias and fear. <coughs> Marin is the number one most segregated county in all 53 California counties. That's a very unfortunate distinction. I don't feel you can compare Marin County to other coastal counties in the absence of this context. Santa Monica was mentioned earlier and by example is diverse. It has a public rail line providing accessibility with a train stop at the beach. It's the homeowner's responsibility to manage the land. And honestly, in the face of climate crisis and these past few years, this moratorium is creating real hardship this little bit of extra income is generative, not just for me, because I reinvest in my trees and fire safety and clearing deadwood and flood damage, but the stores and services around me, I appeal to you that you don't get overzealous and make access hard. I feel that this is a campaign and I'm concerned about it. I love this community. We've been through a lot together. We had fires, we had COVID, we had floods and power outages. I made friends at a restaurant. Thank you. Your time is up. Thank you. There'll be more challenges to come. Let's please hold figure your this out together. Thank you. Thank you.
Elvira. Hi, my name is Elvira. Mi nombre es Elvira. Um, I'm here to speak by myself, but also with uh, the Latinx that is not being present here. Um, huh. Uh, hearing all this conversation, I feel really small. I do not own any property. I do not own any other whatsoever. Um, but I'm here to think about, I'm thinking about, you know, that's all these Airbnb um, working. I used to clean houses as well. Um, and the reason that I feel uh, small because I don't own anything, but I do care for my community. I do care for my people. I do care for people, those people who are working out there, cleaning houses, cleaning Airbnb, cleaning places. That's how they survive around here. Yes, and the other hand, we have the lack of houses around here. There's some people that they are commuting from, commute from Santa Rosa to work in West Marine for more than 20 years. They're still doing that because there's no the lack of housing to live around here. So I'm in, in, both, in both, both hands, like I'm right here. How can we make this balance for, be, for us to be able to be a small community and taking care of each other, especially our senior people around here? They're probably those senior people that own, they have a property, they do Airbnb, and then maybe that's how they survive. But on the other hand, yes, we have people that commute for a long distance. I would like to see some balances for small communities. Thank you. Elvira. Maureen Cornelia, followed by Renee. I'm sorry, starts with an E. Dawn Smith and Nancy Smith. Thank you, I'm Maureen Cornelia. I've been a full-time resident of Inverness for 20 years, with 12 years as a board member of our local community land trust. My husband and I were fortunate to purchase our house in 1998. That predated the advent of the SDR industry and its transformation into what we see today in our rural coastal villages throughout the county, not to mention globally. I attended several of the community input Zoom sessions hosted by CDA, and that's what led me to get involved along with other community members around this issue. I listen as our communities were mischaracterized and the risks that we are facing from a housing point of view. Thankfully, the county imposed a moratorium and has taken a very careful amount of time to assess what has happened since the 2018 STR regulations were put in place. They've been completely outpaced by the lure of STR investment income. What's been most concerning to me is the perspectives and voices that are missing, the very community members who have been negatively impacted by STRs. There are neighbors, our friends, who are repeatedly displaced from full-time rentals. It includes young families trying to build a life in West Marin who, while not low income, can't compete with all cash offers that dominate the sales of a million dollar and up properties that quickly turn into STRs. We've all watched local workers, young families, seniors leave the community. The school enrollment's down, local jobs go unfilled. We lose long-term residents who have built lives here. I absolutely believe there's a place for short-term rentals in our community, but not at the current number, nor at the expense of our rural community's viability. As the planning staff research has shown, there are numerous examples of coastal communities that have implemented effective SDR regulations with balance 
San Diego has recently put in place a system that is a good example to look at. I feel our coastal villages are at a critical juncture. The Planning Commission and the county has in front of it an opportunity to implement a set of regulation that corrects the current imbalance we face. And I just want to thank you for taking the time and, and I urge you to be bold on this one. Thank you. Thank you. Renee, followed by Dawn and Nancy. Thank you. My name is Renee Amuna, and I have lived in Bolinas for about 28 years, about half of that time as a renter and half, miraculously, as an owner. And um, it's always been hard to find a rental in Bolinas or a home, but I have felt in the last five or eight years it's become so impossible, and I have seen so many people who have lived there for a very long time, contributed so much to the community, be forced into leaving Bolinas. Um, I also have friends from over the hill who would love to live in Bolinas full time and have found it impossible to find a place to, to live in Bolinas because of the extent of short-term rentals. And what, what first drew me to Bolinas was not only my love for nature, but also community and that sense of community is really starting to, um, or over the years, dissipate because of so many people who don't actually live there. Um, and as a therapist, I know how important that sense of community is. And for a town as small as Bolinas, how essential that is and, and can really view its um, dwindling. Um, the house adjacent to mine um, has um, was owned by someone who was only there part-time, but did do what another speaker spoke of, really allow people who needed a place just for a short amount of time, like neighbors, helping neighbors out with their friends visiting. That was great. But now it's owned by someone who is renting it on VRBO for a very high price, and therefore groups are coming in. They're noisy. They're there late at night. The whole sense of neighborhood has really changed. And um, I have complete support, as the very first speaker spoke of, for people who will rent out their living room or a room in their house, who live there full time, who may allow a visitor to come when they're going on vacation and get a little income that way. But for people who are not living in Bolinas and are very rarely there and making their income, um, on the um, short-term rentals is really gotten out of whack with our small town. And I believe that not only is a moratorium on new such places needed, but also regulations on um, existing, given the, the out-of-whackness with a town of about 16, 1,700 residents. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Don Smith followed by Nancy Smith and then Cherry Grisham and Mark Switzer. Hi, Don Smith uh, from Bolinas. I'm a longtime affordable housing advocate and uh, served 19 years on the Bolinas Water District. I'm a homeowner there. And um, I have permission from um, to tell Whitney Vest's uh, story. She and her husband, uh, Marshall um, Payne, grew up here, uh, went to Bolinas School. Their parents lived here for long before that in Bolinas and Stinson, respectively. And um, they went off to college and did other things. And then 
they reconnected and got married and moved back to Bolinas into a property at 125 Pine, owned by Julie Beach, who's a San Rafael resident. And um, her parents had lived there as of now for uh, 19 years. And the owner of the property, Julie Beach, um, had long said that if they wanted to buy the house, they could buy the house. And, and then all of a sudden, um, this spring, they got an eviction notice for no apparent reason. And uh, Julie's been not forthcoming about that. And um, they were just stunned. And, and they are now right in the middle of moving out. Uh, they have two, they have a toddler, they have a baby, they have a 14-year-old who's graduating from Bolinas School, eighth grade, tomorrow, and they don't know where they're gonna go. And um, so what's going on here? Uh, whenever something goes way off the rails like this, I always you know, say, follow the money. And um, everybody's guess is that Julie just got a, a huge offer privately that wasn't on the market that she couldn't refuse and reneged on her um, verbal promise to sell a house to these long-term good neighbors. And um, this is happening all the time. The, the um, economic incentives are obvious and um, you shouldn't need a, a whole huge study of data to support because in fact we already know um, that there are a whole new batch of potential second home buyers coming into the market because they can supplement, they can use the STR income to pay their mortgage. They're counting on that. If you want to live in the house, you can't do that. And, and um, there was a guy from Marshall who actually um, set up in, in one of the listening sessions and said, I'm having trouble selling my property because of the moratorium on STRs. Well, yeah, because He's using the STR potential as a marketing tool. And, and so those people can way outbid somebody local who wants to live in the house. And also with short-term renting um, a, a piece of your property, you know, if you switch from long-term rental to short-term rental, you double your income right there. So Thank you, Mr. Smith. Okay. Time's up. Appreciate it. <laughs> Nancy Smith, Cherry Grisham, Mark Switzer, and Katie... Thank you. I'm Nancy Smith. I own a short-term rental in Dillon Beach. Bought it in 2010. And I have to say that I am, I am not making huge amounts of money. This is essentially a break-even kind of situation with a little teeny extra. Why did we get it? I grew up in the, next to the ocean in Southern California, and I wanted my children, and now my grandchildren, to be able to enjoy the coast. I'm a retired uh, former employee of the state of California, as is my husband. Middle class people like us we are not, will not be able to afford to buy houses in West County without the supplement of short-term rental income. Um, I think one of the things that's clear from the staff presentation is affordable housing is, is a key concern. I understand that. It was also mentioned that they had looked at the experience of other um, cities and counties in California. I would certainly ask, I would like to see data on 
What has changed in those counties with short-term rental regulations, especially those that uh, restrict them? Do they have more affordable housing? Do the coastal areas that are, are comparable to us, do they have more affordable housing? I would be surprised because if I were, if the result was that I needed to make, mine a, make my house in Dillon Beach a full-time rental, my entire purpose of having it would be gone because my family, my kids, my grandkids, we would not be able to use it. I would sell the house. I mean, that's, and would it be affordable? I don't think so. Where on, in California on the coast, well, I would say any place on planet Earth, is there affordable housing that is right with ocean view on the coast? That is not something that happens. Um, you know, I'm asking that if ordinary families, retired, I hear other retired school teachers, other public people, um, this is, you know, it's their love of the area that has brought them there. Um, don't, don't, please don't make our little middle class dream and ability to enjoy this wonderful area we have, don't make it disappear, because it will be only the truly wealthy who are there, and they are not gonna be having their kids in your schools or being part of your community. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sherry Grisham, followed by Mark Switzer, Katie, and then Deborah Merton. Uh, Cherry Grisham, and I also have a house in Dillon Beach. I bought my house in 1998, and I bought it from a family from Woodland who had it as a vacation rental for 20 years before that. On my street in Dillon Beach, there is not a single full-time resident. There are other vacation rentals, and there are people um, that own houses but don't live there. There are probably not five children in the village in Dillon Beach. There is no school in Dillon Beach. There is no full grocery store in Dillon Beach. There's one restaurant that's open a couple, two or three days a week. There are no services in Dillon Beach. It has been a vacation rental for decades and decades. My house was built in the late 20s, and it was used part-time soon after that. Um, so truly, Dillon Beach is a vacation rental. And uh, I, my sister, Nancy, lives next door to us, and I, or has the house next door, neither one of us have, um, have made tons of money on our vacation rental last year. And usually between 10 and 20,000 a year I put in the house because as people who live on the coast know, it's expensive to keep a house. I also keep my rent low so that lots of people can use it. And almost all the families are middle-class families that live there. Nancy worked for the state. I was a teacher in, uh, in Sonoma County. So I know how families want to go to the beach and be able to use it. And I, I do hope that uh, the Coastal Commission will continue their current policies. And I thank you for your time. Thank you, Ms. Christian. Mark Switzer, followed by Katie um, Beekmack, Deborah Merton, and yikes, David Kimball. Thank you. 
Um, thank you very much. My name is Mark Switzer. I'm here uh, representing the Point Reyes Station Village Association, where I currently serve as the secretary. Uh, the uh, Village Association has been taking up this issue this year in its monthly meetings, and it's been the, the meetings have been very uh, lively, um, and the president uh, submitted the consensus that we came to, to in the May meeting in terms of our recommendations around short-term rentals. And so that's, that's in the supplemental uh, information. Um, I should really thank um, Kathleen because I think she's done an incredible job with a, a wonderful temperament um, in, in this outreach issue. As the secretary, um, having to listen to uh, the membership of the Village Association over the last uh, number of months and trying to coalesce the, um, the information because there are many, many ideas that are coming forth with all kinds of nuance. Um, I can really empathize or sympathize with the Planning Commission and CDA for having to sift through all this information and try to come up with some balanced uh, set of proposals. But I can say two things about Again, being there listening to people, uh, which are data points. All these people here are data points. And all the people that show up at uh, public forums or uh, in any context are data points. And these are people that know the community they, that they're in. So I think that that's very important. And what I have heard overarching is that there, at least amongst the constituency of the Point Reyes Station Village Association, is there needs to be more nuanced and effective regulation of short-term rentals, period. The second point is that has to be effectively enforced. And I, the county, in my opinion, this, this is out of the record of the uh, Village Association, I think the county has always been challenged on regulation enforcement. So again, I, the, the, the real message that I have heard just listening to these data points is please, more considered, balanced regulation. Because the county, in terms of there's discussion about other jurisdictions, Marin County has been very slow to come to this issue. I believe that you know it, it is a part of the um, the entitlement of Marin County and of West Marin that has created a situation where we really have not addressed what is happening in our community. So, in any case, um, I'm, I think I'm diverging too much in my own. Thank you, Mr. Switzer. Thank you. Um, Katie Beekmack, Deborah Merton, David Kimball, followed by Aaron El Eli. Eli, sorry. Good afternoon. I'm Katie Beacock. I've been in the business of <laughs> short-term rentals in Stinson Beach. This is our 50th year. I'm a Marin County native, product of Mill Valley Schools. And for all of you decrying the change in this county, let me tell you, it's heartbreaking to some of us. But it's so beautiful, we have to share it. And 
I'm here to say to you one of the unintended consequences of all this, because I am a firm believer in building or creating more affordable housing, and I'm a donor to all of the entities that are working on that. But one of the unintended consequences of reducing the number of short-term rentals, number one, it will increase the price of the ones that are already there. Number two, it will increase the lack of diversity that we already see. My grandparents went to Stinson Beach in the 20s to visit from Alameda where they lived. I have been going there and lived there for many years. We need to keep it so that families can come and rent a home there and enjoy it. This weekend or this next week, I'll be with two of my children and five of my grandchildren renting a home on a lake at the foot of Mount Lassen. We go up there almost every year for 30 years. It's our opportunity to live together, to do games together, to cook together, to swim together. We aren't interested in going and renting a hotel room somewhere. We want to be a family. And none of us have a home big enough for all of us to reside in. So that's the kind of people that will be aced out by all of this because you will do away with the affordable home rentals, short-term rentals in the summertime where the teachers from Sacramento and Woodlands and Chico come down with their families and are part of the community. And you'll have only more and more of the people who are the one, only ones that can afford to buy in Stinson Beach now, but people who spend very little time there, but they don't care what it costs. Short-term rentals, they don't need them. They'll buy a house or they'll rent it for six months and use their two or three days. You're gonna do away with families that come, participate, love nature, teach their children about nature, that protect what Marin County is really all about. So I ask you, to think very carefully how we can do this to bring more housing stability for the communities and yet allow visitors to come and share what we have. We've been selfish long enough. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Peacock. Um, Deborah. Okay, thank you. Uh, David Kimball, followed by Aaron, Eli, and Mar Melissa Daniels. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Planning Commissioners. Your work is valuable. We all benefit from it. I'm a member of a group, West Marin Residents for Housing, 10 of us representing Stinson Beach, Bolinas, Point Reyes Station, and Inverness. We also wish to compliment Kathleen. She's intelligent, capable, responsive, responsive and follows through on her commitments. My wife and I have lived in Bolinas 34 years. We've watched many changes concerning the loss of affordable housing for renters and property owners. Sales prices have increased significantly and affordable housing options have decreased when companies like Airbnb and VRBO discovered an investment opportunity. It has been an unfortunate negative impact on community. STRs are an attractive investment for corporate and remote investors. We're not speaking about Mr. Rubin. We're not speaking about Nancy and so forth. These corporate investors can pay, and they're in our neighborhoods now, can pay inflated market prices in residential neighborhoods by realizing STR income. For residents trying to make ends meet, STRs are a valuable mechanism 
we support when coupled with especially ADUs and JADUs. They help build and sustain community. We're at a tipping point. 1% of parcels in East Marin communities are STRs, while in, in, while in the coastal areas they're 16%. 71% of STRs in Marin County are in the coastal areas. Bold action is required. We have a proposal. Again, it is not aimed at natural persons. It's aimed at corporations. In residential areas, grant only one STR license to a natural resident. Only grant, to, only grant one STR license per property owner. Cap the number of STRs specific to each village. Require whole house STR licensees to meet the same health and safety codes as commercial inns, hotels, and motels. Sunset existing licenses and in a period, say two years, adjust to the caps. Marin County, how am I doing on time? Marin County has demonstrated it can take bold action to set new leadership standards. Two recent examples. Marin County Fire Chief Jason Weber and Dennis Supervisor Rodoni led the passage of the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority, which has achieved national recognition. COVID public health actions under the leadership of Dr. Matt Willis and the Board of Supervisors have realized nationally recognized outcomes. Can you wrap up? We appreciate your taking bold action. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Kimball. Uh, Aaron Eli, followed by Melissa Daniels, Jeff Pollock, and Lisa Doron. Is there no Aaron here? Okay, so Melissa Daniels, followed by Jeff Pollock and Lisa Doron. So I am here to speak on my behalf. I'm a second generation Marin County rancher, short-term rental host in Nicasio. I am carrying on my parents' legacy with our family ranch, which has been an Airbnb farm stay since 2011. I work and live full-time on the ranch, raising beef cattle. I'm also nominated by the USDA as a representative of the beef industry with direct-to-consumer beef sales being my uh, short-term rental being my primary customer base. Um, I'm one woman owned and operated. I do all of the ranch maintenance myself. Um, I also work for a large healthcare organization full-time, so essentially I work around the clock. My short-term rental farm stay on the ranch is the, my primary source of income to afford it to maintain the ranch. My entire income from my short-term rental supports the ranch. My career supports myself. My mission is pr to provide an opportunity for those without a link to agriculture to become familiar, gain knowledge and experience, and get connected to their food source. Providing food, which I raise and grow, is also part of this process. Proposed new regulations for people such as myself would put people out of business with the steep cost necess necessary through building and permitting to update historical structures which were built generations before our time. My ranch is why my short-term rental allows the ranch to be environmentally sound. I am a sustainable rancher, a regenerative agriculturist. That is my primary function of being a rancher in West Marin. Environmental resources, health and safety are critical to my operation. 
Um, I'm also a Marin Agricultural Land Trust easement, and I'm not wanting to add environmental impact to my rural home and business by making this a full-time rental. Some other key points. Farm say hosts people working in the Marin County community. Over the years, I've hosted firefighters seasonally. I've hosted people that were displaced from their homes during the fires. I have hosted medical staff. I've hosted people during COVID when we had a minimum amount of days that they could stay for people to build fire roads for the park service. Um, it's also housing for seasonal interns learning about agriculture, as well as seasonal ranch labor, which I could not otherwise afford to do so. It also provides consistent work to local business. For instance, my housekeeper depends on my, the income that I support to pay her mortgage in Lagunitas. Many local businesses depend on short-term rentals to keep their doors open. Restaurants, small businesses, shops, things like that would be out of business without these short-term rentals. Uh, we've been reporting all of our earnings to the county. We are permitted, yet I feel we're being penalized for being transparent in our business Ms. by Davis, these proposed can you wrap regulations. Up, Thank you. Thank you. Jeff Pollock, followed by Lisa Doran, Edward, mm -hmm. starts with a G, thank you, and Lisa Benjamin. Jeff Pollock, okay, Lisa Doran. Okay, thank you, Edward Gorenstein, nope, yes, great, thank you. My name is Edward. Um, I own a vacation rental in Dillon Beach, which uh, we actually built um, the home from the ground up. So um, I, well, I just wanted to say, um, I wanted to echo, I think, the importance of uh, having different regulations for different communities. Um, and uh, I just wanted to say that um, I think, you know, as we're trying to balance the need for affordable housing and the need to um, have, you know, maintain the character of our communities with equitable access to the coast. I think it's important to, uh, you know, remember that different communities have different characters and a place like Dillon Beach has always had the character of being a, uh, you know, a vacation rental community as many others have said. Um, I just wanted to make one other point which is I think as we're considering how to make this balance um, and, and, and potentially cap certain places. Um, I think it's important to maintain that equitable access and not make it uh, be unaffordable for folks to uh, have access to the beach and for families to be able to enjoy the coast. Um, and I think Dillon Beach actually can play a really important role in that. So if we're capping certain areas, we need uh, neighborhoods to be able to you know, soak up that, uh, that demand um, for uh, visiting the coast. Thank you. Thank you. Mark uh, Moretzky, followed by Lisa Poncha and Mary Gunn. Gwen. Mm. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Thank you for your time here today. Um, my name is Mark. I am in the process of building a house in Dillon Beach um, from the ground up, um, ourselves playing the general contractor role for the first time. So. 
really hands-on and learning about building. Um, my partner and I, though we, we rent an apartment to live in, this is the first home we will ever own. In order to own it, we actually have to rent it. Um, so we, we are counting on the hopes of being able to operate it as a short-term rental in Dillon Beach. And I, I echo what many have said here about Dillon Beach being a unique uh, community. I don't know much about other communities, per se. I haven't lived in those communities, but I'm sure they all have their own unique flavors. But um, I think that that is an interesting point to, to highlight. I think kind of finishing Edward's point, I would add sort of like there could be a way to think about um, not having a cap, for example, in Dillon Beach as an approach to essentially satisfy the, the demand if there were to be caps in other locations. So you can balance the different neighborhoods and see how they all operate together as one whole. Maybe that would be one thing to think about. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's all for me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Moretzky. Lisa Poncha, followed by Mary Gunn and Linda Martin. Hi, thank you. I'm Lisa Poncha. I'm the co-owner of Stemple Creek Ranch in Tamales, just outside of the town of Tamales. My husband, Lauren, is a fourth-generation rancher here in West Marin County. Um, we started our business, Stemple Creek Ranch, about 15 years ago. It is the sole support of our family. We have, um, between the different properties that are owned by various family members in Tamales, there's quite a few residential structures. Some are lived in by family. Some are lived in by families that rent in the long-term capacity that are just regular families. And some are lived in by agricultural um, employees, both of us and of some of our neighbors. We have two different families that live on our property that work for us full-time, and they get free housing as part of their compensation package. Um, and then we also have some short-term vacation rentals. <laughs> so it's, it's quite a diversified um, operation. Our main income and by far our most important purpose of our business is regenerative agriculture. We have a livestock business. We sell meat, both wholesale and retail. And um, when we started our business 15 years ago, we started by renting pasture from my in-laws and we purchased a ranch next door from a neighbor. And we have taken every dollar that we've made from our short-term vacation rentals to slowly, over the last 15 years, fix up the property and to have a place that we can bring consumers and people that are interested in learning about local agriculture to come so that they can learn about our business, learn about the work that we're doing, look us in the eyes, shake our hands, go home, hopefully post about it on social media, and um, buy our products. And that has been, I would say, 95% of marketing for our business for the last 15 years for our agricultural products. Um, we don't have a big marketing budget. We don't have a big marketing staff. What we have is our very small but mighty team and uh, the transparency that bringing people to our property and meeting us and learning about the work that we're doing um, gives in the marketplace. We are able to have chefs from restaurants and butchers from grocery stores come to the property, bring their families, stay over, you know, learn about what we're doing. And there is no doubt that we would not have a business if we weren't able to do that. It just, it would not exist. Um, penciling out a business in regenerative agriculture is a challenge every single year. <laughs> um, it's not for the faint at heart, and our business would simply not 
be in existence if we were not able to have the flexibility of the short-term vacation rentals. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, Mary Gunn, followed by Linda Martin and John Arguelles. Arguelles. Yes. Yeah, I grew up in Inverness and left in uh, 1983, came back 40 years later, now living in Point Reyes. And I just wanted to, as, a, as an illustration, I guess, is just looking at Inverness and how it's changed over the 40 years. I really wonder how much of that has to do with the increase in the short-term rentals. Um, so I hope that whatever is decided, um, I think it probably has to be something of a mix, of course, but just to keep in mind, um, it would be sad to have all these small villages turn into sort of ghost towns. Um, so thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, Linda Martin, followed by John Arguelles and Colleen Madden. Hi, my name is Linda Martin, and I'm, uh, hi Kathleen. I want to comment Kathleen publicly because she always listens. Thank you. So I'm a real estate broker. I've owned a home and resided in Dillon Beach for over 35, 40 years. Uh, that tells you my age. So uh, first I'd like to say, and I've already talked to Kathleen about this, I, my objection to the survey, because um, I told Kathleen I, I took the survey once, I forgot that I took it, so I took it a second time, <laughs> and it went through. And so um, I asked if anybody was paying any attention to these surveys and how many times people were going to send the same survey again <laughs> over and over again. And I had a homeowner tell me at Dillon Beach, I know how to get rid of you guys. She took it 15 times, 15 times that survey. And she used different people's uh, email addresses on it. So it's something you all need to look into because I do not think that survey is accurate. And I have a, a son who is a computer engineer, and he told me that you could set up these little things that would take that survey over and over again. So I don't, I'm not saying it happened, but I do know this one homeowner bragged about taking it 15 times. I also want to bring up that with Dillon Beach, when I bought in there almost 40 years ago, it was a second home market then. I was disclosed to from the real estate broker I bought it from. It was a second home market. I, we continue. There's another real estate broker sitting here with me today that owns uh, real estate in Dillon Beach. She has to disclose, we both have to disclose that it's a second home STR community. And it's been that way, way before my time. So I sent this information to Kathleen uh, about full-time homeowners at Dillon Beach. And this, I might be off one or two. I'm not going to say I'm completely accurate, but I did list their addresses and their names. So in the village, there's 13 full-time, approximately 13 full-time residents and there's approximately 168 houses. In Oceana Moran, the area that John and I um, uh, own a house, there's uh, 28 full-time residents, and there's approximately 251 uh, lots in Oceana Moran. So um, this is on file uh, with Kathleen, and um, I just uh, uh, I assist my son in his vacation rental business and I can tell you that, you know, uh, last year was a great year. This year, we've, we're down 40% in our bookings. And the reason, is, the reason why is because the worldwide travel has opened up. 
even myself will be traveling out of the country this year. So we've had a couple, one or two good runs, but now it's back to the only the summer months that are busy. And thank you for your time, Melissa, and thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Ms. Martin. John Arguez, Colleen Madden, and then Layla Monroe. Hi, I'm John. I'm a full-time resident on Dillon Beach. I've been living there for 35 years. Um, a few points they brought up about um, Dillon Beach is there's no, there's no infrastructure in Dillon Beach. There's no stores. The nearest gas shop is about 30 minutes away. Um, there's, there's a school in Tamales, but like you've heard, there's barely anyone that lives in Dillon Beach. It's basically a ghost town on the weekdays, even during, like, right now. Um, we're, we're also facing a possible 15% uh, tax increase by California, which we already pay a 14% tax already, so we're looking possibly at a 30% taxes that STRs are paying right now. Um, let's see. The, um, the, the, the question about the like the usage in water in Dillon Beach, if you had full-time residents and parking in Dillon Beach, that water usage would be down completely in probably about a year. So that, that statement of just saying, you know, the STRs take all the water usage when they're only there for maybe the weekend and they're gone the rest of the week is completely false. The, the fact is that people are really there full-time, all the time, we'd be facing a way bigger water crisis, plus a parking situation for the fire department. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, like the, the percentage has dropped about 40% since um, COVID has been, you know, stopped, basically. So, um, yeah, that's about all I have to say. Um, oh, there was one thing an owner wanted to ask, too. Um, the, the map of Dillon Beach is unincorporated West Marin, not coastal zone. Who decides these zones, and how can Dillon Beach not be a coastal zone? So I was just kind of wondering that, too. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. That's a bit above our pay grade. Colleen Madden, followed by Wheela Monroe and Peyton Stevie. I tried to live in full-time for four years, and I was bound and determined to um, keep living there full-time, but found it completely unaffordable um, traveling back and forth. I went through two cars in four years um, to get to the grocery stores a half an hour, at least one that's affordable. Um, I, I don't know how you get your kids to school and pick them up from work. Um, it's really not a um, low-income option. <laughs> I found it extremely expensive and time-consuming to live there full-time. So I did move out, and my home is now a vacation rental, which at least now I can share with my family during the holidays, pick different times during the summer. Um, my kids love Dillon Beach and are so happy to be able to go there when we can book time to be there. Um, but I feel like I'm a perfect example of someone who tried to live there full time and tried to work and tried to raise a family, and it's a it's treacherous drive. It's not an easy uh, situation to live there full time if you're working and have a family. So that's my point. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Leela Monroe, followed by Peyton Sheevy and Caroline Dutton. Thank you. Excuse me. Uh, Leila Monroe. Um, I am one of the co-owners of Smiley's Saloon Hotel and Kitchen. 
Um, I live in Bolinas. I'm a relatively new resident. I've lived there for um, about nine years now. Uh, I have witnessed, as an employer of about 35 people, uh, my staff struggling with finding housing, staff traveling for an hour to come to work, staff living uh, essentially unhoused um, in order to live out there. Um, I wit half of my staff speak Spanish. Um, I witness every day the housing inequity um, in West Marin. For that reason, I became uh, very active with the Community Land Trust. I also have two little boys who are in the Blinistinson School District, and we know how many of their, their um, teachers are commuting long distances or also um, struggling with housing insecurity. So I just want to make three uh, quick points. The first is I don't think you've heard any of us who are supporting the regulations ask for a ban on short-term rentals. We all understand that they have a role to play. What we are suggesting, not suggesting, sharing and emphatically stating is that many, if not most, communities in uh, coastal California already have regulations in place. And we've been looking very carefully at what has been done um, up and down the coast as well as inland, but especially because we're in the coastal region, we find it very instructive that the Coastal Commission has very recently started to recognize that the balance in favor of visitors serving accommodations has started to go maybe a little too far. For example, in Half, Half Moon Bay, where you saw the um, dramatic and terrible outcome of uh, farm worker housing, um, the commission recently said that, in fact, they needed to support a stricter regulation on short-term rentals. So we have put together, I'm part of the group, the West Marin um, Residents for Housing. Uh, we put policy uh, proposals together on that website um, that have been very carefully thought through. Um, you can take a look at those when you have a moment, but each of those we've researched very extensively um, in order to offer recommendations that will not have the kind of unintended consequences you've heard today. They, will, they are designed to incentivize people to have some long-term rentals. They are designed to support folks like you've heard today who do need that fixed income. But also, I wanted to make the very important point that as a historic 1851 building, we have had to come up to code and be compliant with every zoning, building, health and safety code. It is fundamentally unfair that there are hundreds of businesses that are essentially exactly the same as us that do not have to comply. So that is a key piece for me, is that to have parity with code compliance is really only fair for those of us who are operating legal businesses, and it's not easy. Finally, I'd just make a quick point about the um, financial and economic benefit you've heard um, on STRs. Uh, that is really speculative. We, again, employ 35 people. The dark winter months, the STRs do not support our local economy. We need a balance of local residents and visitors. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ms. Monroe. Peyton, Sheedy, um, Caroline Dutton, followed by Nancy, I can't, I, it's, I can't read it, and Harriet Moss. Yes, so um, I'm a, my family has had our place in Marshall for about 60 years, I think. Um, and as one of my neighbors says, when he has been there even longer than I have, that when they were first there, it was a, they lived out in the country, and now it's a destination resort. And, you know, many people grew up in West Marin and in Marshall and now cannot live there. Um, and workers cannot live there. And it's, I believe that it's a lot because of the short-term rental problem. 
and I don't think that, and the fact that there's so many tourists that come, it's, it get, gets inundated. Um, and, but anyway, um, I think the, the problem with this, with not having any limits on short-term rentals, and I don't think any of us are saying we should cut short-term rentals completely at all. They have their place, and, and as, as people said, it, it gives a balance. But um, what's happened, for example, there's, an, there's a neighboring house that's up the hill from me that used to have renters that were our friends that lived there full time. And it was sold and someone bought it. We don't know who that person is, but it always has short-term rental people in it. Sometimes they have loud parties. They have no responsibility to, to the neighborhood. And there isn't even somebody that we can talk to who lives locally. There are many people in our community, and I've talked to some of them about this, who do rent their houses in order to afford to, to live there, and they live there a good deal of the time. They contribute to the community. And so it seems to us that that would be great to continue, but not have people who are just have the place in order to make money. I, as a matter of fact, I don't think that should happen anywhere in West Marin, including um, um, the place uh, up north from us near Tamales, uh, Dillon Beach, <laughs> which has all these old little houses that could probably be very affordable <laughs> if, they were, if they were rented full time. <laughs> but um, it sounds like there are hardly any full-time residents, and maybe that could be a place where a lot of people who work in the community could actually live if there was some limit in each community on how much short-term rentals, you know, how the percentage of short-term rentals. Anyway, the other thing... I wanted to say that some people have told me and that I've experienced myself is it is very hard to create an additional dwelling unit in, on your property in Marshall and probably in Westboro in general in the coastal region. Thank you, Ms. Dutton. Your yeah. time's up. And so that's because of county regulations that make it difficult to put on another bedroom Thank and you. maybe have a rental unit that could be long term. Thank you. Nancy Hemingway, Harriet Moss, Margo Whit Wilson, Whit Whitsum. Hi. I just want to say from my own uh, experience that in my neighborhood we had two short-term rentals. And one was uh, on a property where the owner lived and the trash was Okay, uh, since West Marin gets three million visitors to the National Seashore, trash is a big deal for us. And we have made a great effort as a community of Point Reyes and Inverness to try to separate our trash and have it designed so visitors can figure out what is compostable, what is trash, and what, where you put stuff. And the other rental in my neighborhood was from people who live in Oakland, which I used to live in, I like, but they were never there. And 
every week, my neighbor and I would go down and we would set up the garbage cans that the raccoons would knock over. And it was adjacent to a creek that led right into Tomales Bay where a lot of us swim. And so I really feel that there needs to be a great emphasis on short-term rentals where the property owner is either living or really paying attention and not to have big corporations running short-term rentals from afar because the trash, the noise, and all of us who are long-term residents feel that we have to be really active community members. And if there were a, a major tragedy happening, like we've had in the past with fires and floods, that we would reach out and help our visitors, too. But we need to have people really responsible, and there needs to be a balance. Uh, Harriet Moss, Margo Whitsum, and Richard James. Hello, and thank you very much for your patience and listening to all of these speakers. Um, I'm Harriet Moss. I've lived in Stinson Beach for the last 32 years. And when I moved to Stinson, I moved there because I wanted community, and it was a thriving small-town community. There was always sea drift where there were a lot of short-term rentals, and there was always the, the properties, like Steve's, who's a very contributing member of the community, uh, that are on the west side of Highway 1. I live on the hill, which is the oldest part of Stinson Beach, and when I moved there, there were literally no short-term rentals. Even as recently as 10 years ago when I um, held a large birthday party and I spent several days looking at short-term rentals in Stinson Beach for friends from around the country to rent, there were still almost none on the entire hill section of Stinson Beach. Now, if you look at the map that the county has of short-term rentals, you'll see that the entire hill is obscured by the little green dots each one of which represents a short-term rental. It has changed the community immensely. It's hollowed it out. It's made it difficult to find anyone to engage in community activities. And I really, and I would also point out, which I don't think has been pointed out today, um, there are now 10% more properties being used in Stinson Beach for short-term rentals as there are uh, for primary residences. And that is unsustainable for a community, or I should say that a community is unsustainable when things are that out of balance. So as many people have said, no one is coming up here and saying ban all short-term rentals. They're obviously necessary on the coast. But when a community is that out of balance, it ceases really to be a community. And there's literally nowhere for all of the people that service the short-term rentals and the visitors to live. So I very much urge you to recommend regulations to the Board of Supervisors that do take into account community-by-community community historic use, that put a cap on short-term rentals in each of the communities and possibly even neighborhoods in West Marin, 
and ask uh, and require actually short-term rentals to come up to the same, to, to fulfill the same code requirements that commercial lodging operators have to do. So again, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Margo Whitson, followed by Richard James and Janice. I'd like to thank the commission and the staff. Always do a marvelous job in, Monroe, in Marin County. I'm always amazed that you do things forthright. We don't get decisions that are just thrown at us. I'm a relatively new member of uh, Marin County, only living here for 10 years. Um, but I want to counter the argument that somehow STRs has anything to do with affordability affordable housing. It's just not true in the history of Marin County. The Point Rise Light had a very good article uh, about the Morrell family that in the 1800s built a nice house in Inverness. Uh, I live in Inverness, and like many of the houses in Inverness, they were built quite a long time ago as summer residents, weekend homes. Um, and recently I've been hearing a lot of lamenting about people who grew up there or live there and short-term rentals are forcing them out. And it's simply not the reality of what I see. So I give them an opinion, but somebody else said, you really have to look at the facts. On my street, we have 40 residences. 16 are weekend homes of people who live in San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley. Much in keeping with the Mahler home tradition, of wealthy owners who have resources for weekend homes in Marin. Five of the homes are Prop 13 gifts or inheritances, mostly out-of-state or SoCal owners who come once a year, while those residences are empty most of the year. Three are clam housing, while four are long-term rentals and a mere two STRs. Only 12 are owner residents like myself. So over 50% of the houses on my street alone are the Mahler models of wealth and privilege in Marin County that is historically something that's been here for 100 years. Yes, it's sad that many people who work here, the people who work in our stores and our farms, they don't have housing, but that is not the fault of STRs. I drove up here, the hour drive up here, through the 54% of Marin County that is ranch land. We voted in Measure A to subsidize ranchers $65 million, several dozen ranch families, to keep that land as ranches. Well, when you have a community where you have wealth, land wealth, and privilege, you can't suddenly scapegoat SDRs as the problem of why you don't have affordable housing. Yes, I think it's tragic that people who grew up here can't afford to live here. I can't afford to live in the area in upstate New York where I grew up either. I never went to the county and complained that somehow they should legislate that, nor can we. So trying to legislate that people use their houses or limit the use of their houses, you're just going to face a lot of, of funding of having to do lawyers because it's unconstitutional to mandate how to use houses. So it's a complex problem, but please stop scapegoating STRs as the problem. And I think as a county, we need to work at affordable housing solutions, not scapegoating STRs or trying to legislate them. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Richard James, followed by Janice. Yeah. Hello, Commission. My name is Richard James, and I, uh, I rent in Inverness, where I've rented for about 15 years. I used to live in Silicon Valley. I loved it so much up, up this way that I moved here. And um, I don't envy your position in trying to solve this problem. I've, I've read about it. I know people on various uh, sides of this, uh, this situation, and 
I don't envy your position, but I do ask that you do take a nuanced approach. These different communities are different. Um, and I want to share a short anecdote from the perspective of myself as someone who represents the non-human uh, people, or the non-human inhabitants of West Marin. I spend an inordinate amount of time cleaning up the beaches, the bay, the coast, the roads of human trash that finds its way everywhere. And about six years ago, I noticed this one pullout in Marshall. That was the, the trash cans, the recycle bins were constantly tipped over probably by raccoons or the wind. And I noticed it time and again, so I did some research. And I found that the owner was using it as an Airbnb rental. I contacted the owner multiple times, finally got a response through email. I got short-term compliance, like they, they, they made a small effort for a little while, and, and the problem of trash just everywhere, and I mean a lot of trash, um, the short-term rental uh, employs lots of inexpensive furniture purchased from Amazon, and when it gets trashed, it gets thrown back on the road. New items get uh, purchased, and the packages that those new items come in get dumped on the road with the owner's name on them. They're, they're everywhere. So the problem was solved for a short amount of time, but then it just came back. And I tried again and again, reaching out to the, to the property owner. I contacted Caltrans. I contacted Recology. I contacted my supervisor's office contacted the sheriff's department. I got very little in the way of action. Then COVID happened. And when there was no visitation, though, the problem was solved. There was no visitors here. And the, the, like, you could go by that pullout, and you di it didn't look like a dump right next to the bay. This property is on the bay. Well, when COVID opened up, oh boy, it all came back in spades. And I, I was so fed up with trying to go through the community, you know, the, the legislative and the you know, governmental resources, I put it up on Instagram, and a bunch of people in the community said, tell us who it is, we'll go after him. And I, I, I did not take that bait, but someone contacted me directly and said, I'm on Airbnb, I can contact Airbnb, because this person was a super host. The pride and joy of Airbnb, thought well of by Airbnb, and they would just trash Tamales Bay. Two weeks after I gave that person on, that I don't know, the uh, contact information, that problem was solved. And, and it comes back a little bit from time to time. But my point is, is that whatever you do, make sure it's enforced and make sure it's nuanced. Because I spend a lot of my time protecting the environment that I love and that nature needs. So please make sure it's enforced. Thank you, Mr. Thank you James. very much. Janice, I'm so sorry. I cannot pronounce your last <coughs> name. So, but please, thank you. Uh, my name is Janice Wajel. I have um, a second home that I STR in Inverness. Um, I'm a community contributor. My husband and I, we volunteer, we donate, and I'm obsessed with sorting trash. Um, I believe I have a unique perspective on the STR issue in West Marin um, because of my own research that I'm eager to share. I've heard a lot of concern over the past six months about corporations coming into West Marin and buying up homes for profit. And while we all know that there are several companies owning and operating some of the larger hotels in West Marin, I personally don't believe there is a single person in this room that is comfortable with a multi-member entity coming into West Marin and buying up the housing stock for short-term rentals or profit or any reason. Thankfully, I don't believe that's happening. 
While we all know, uh, sorry, I know um, because last December, a neighbor contacted me to say that the county had announced they were updating their restrictions and regulations of STRs. I hadn't heard the news or the meetings that had been held, but as, or the, the ones that had passed. So I reached out to other neighbors who I knew to rent their house on occasion or on regularity and found that everyone was in the dark. It turned out none of us were subscribed to receive the county's STR updates and it dawned <coughs> on me how troubling this was. So here's what I did. Over the course of several months, I combed every last West Marin listing on Airbnb and VRBO. I read every, every host profile from Dillon Beach down to Muir Beach, and I messaged what I would like to believe is every host, but I think I missed some because I've heard a little bit of information here that kind of varies from the numbers that I pulled. Because of the, uh, and I encouraged everybody to go to the county's page and sign up for the STR updates. Because of the nature of the information that I was sharing, I had a relatively high response rate. I connected with a lot of folks over Airbnb messaging, some over email, and some even by phone, and I heard a lot of stories from a lot of folks. And the one thing that became clear to me was that most of, fo that most of folks, most folks do this to offset costs. Multiple people from a variety of backgrounds wanted me to know that they didn't make any money renting and something that I completely understand. Most hosts are the homeowners themselves or the children of homeowners and love the job of hosting visitors and take the job seriously like I do. And that the only people really making money were our retired neighbors who have owned their properties for 20 plus years. Airbnb has been an absolute lifesaver for us, said one of my senior neighbors. What I found no evidence of, and the one thing I want most to communicate here, is that in all my outreach of hundreds of hosts, I truly found zero evidence of corporate ownership in any of the rentals outside of our hotels. Yes, there are a small handful of full-time and part-time residents. I thought there was around four or five, but this information is open to anybody. You can, you can spend the 40 hours I did online trying to pull this information together that operate two rentals. Full disclosure, I used to be one of them. But we are not corporations, we are families, and we are retired couples. I didn't find anyone other than locally-based property managers with more than two listings. Yes, there are second homes that are rentals for some of the year and registered as LLCs, but single-member LLCs are no different than other forms of property like sole ownership, Tennessee in common, joint ownership, blah, 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 blah. I'm so That's sorry it. that I need to ask you to wrap up. And if there's additional information that you have, which sounds extremely important, if you could supply that to okay. staff, that would be fantastic. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, so we've got Grace Gubbins... Um, Michael Anderson and Randy Knight. Hi, I'm Grace Gubbins, and today I'm speaking to you on behalf of the Bolinas Community Land Trust, also known as the BCLT. The BCLT holds an open wait list for affordable housing and home ownership opportunities. I'm here to speak on behalf of the population that is reflected by the BCLT wait list. Many of the people this issue affects, oftentimes low-income families, do not have the benefit and the flexibility to attend an in-person meeting today. The BCLT is currently facilitating a collection of stories and experiences so that the committee can hear from them directly. Our mission at the BCLT is to create, preserve, and sustain long-term affordable housing within the Bolinas-Stinson Unified School District. Long-term residents are the heartbeat of our Bolinas and Stinson communities, but many people are being displaced for short-term rentals within our Bolinas community. There are residents within our coastal communities who rely on short-term rentals for income and the jobs they provide. 
I'd also like to acknowledge that there are distinct differences between the economies of Bolinas and Stinson Beach. Historically, Bolinas has always housed the workforce for our subregion, whereas Stinson Beach has long served as a hub for visitors and travelers to Marin County and an ideal location for family vacations. It's imperative that we acknowledge the differences between these two coastal communities and that decisions regarding our communities be made with this distinction in mind. Here's some information I believe is imperative to weigh in this critical decision making. 75% of full-time Bolinas residents are low income. Currently, we have over 320 applicants on our wait list. This number represents each separate application and not the number of people included in each application. When housing size is included in these calculations, the number of applicants jumps from 320 to 626. 475 of these 626 applicants are families, which means families make up over half of our overall waitlist applications. The average household income for our waitlist is $57,157 versus the average range of the average Marin household income of $121,671. We simply do not have enough homes for our community members who currently reside in Bolinas, many of whom have waited patiently and continue to for many years before finding long-term housing within our community. The BCLT firmly believes that we cannot build our way out of this issue and that we must examine the way we use land within our community at present. The people in our Bolinas community who are being displaced by STRs are the fabric of our community and we cannot thrive without them. On behalf of the BCLT and the Bolinas community, I urge the Planning Commission to listen to the voices of our community and make decisions that satisfy the needs that have been communicated. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Anderson, Randy Knight, and Scott Grooms. Thank you for everyone's time. Uh, when the moratorium went into effect in 2022, it was cited that there was a decline in school enrollment, decline in volunteer EMT firefighters, and housing shortages. You've already, you and a lot of other people have already touched on it, so I'll try to go very quickly. It's been a year since the moratorium went into effect, and like then, we have yet to grasp the, the gaps that are being referenced consistently in terms of the housing supply. It is neither pedantic nor obstructive to ask for the data on this issue, and instead we're being, we're being presented with um, uh, opinions on the limitations on the SCRs without addressing a single one of the original issues. Uh, new issues like inspections are being introduced and now we're being told we need to be treated like commercial housing for part-time part-time rentals. I just also wanted to agree with the Commissioner about the smaller geo-focused groups. Uh, we're hearing a lot about the coastline here today. Uh, I live in Lagunitas. Um, by the, the this group's own numbers, the number of complaints in the past four years for three, there's 3% total uh, STR uh, operations going on in, in our city. I am also, I live on the property and rent out the unit. I'm being told consistently that I'm not the problem yet at the same time, there's gonna be new regulations that go into place that could be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to operate the way that I am. So thank you very much again for your time. Thank you, Mr. Anderson. Randy Knight followed by Scott Grooms and Jessica Lashbrook. I'm Randy Knight, and we've owned and managed vacation rentals in Dillon Beach for over 20 years now. 
And first of all, I want to thank you guys for taking a thoughtful look at everything and trying to come up with the best solutions you can. I know you're doing a good job at that, and believe me, all of us appreciate it. I, I, I just think it's very important that um, decisions are made based on the needs of the individual communities, because Dillon Beach is so different than Bolinas, than Stinson Beach, and anywhere else. There, there's, there are 11 percent is what Linda brought up about uh, full-time residents in Dillon Beach. I'm a real estate broker as well. I've uh, sold to one family in all the years that I've been selling real estate in Dillon Beach, warned them that they're going to take their kids to school and it's going to be a long time, and are, are you sure you want to do this? They moved up from Southern California. They lasted a year. We, always, we want to live on the coast. Well, they couldn't. It's just too difficult to get there. It's started as a resort community. It's always been a resort community. It needs to stay a resort community. It can't be anything else. Um, you're, you're not going to have you know, low-income housing in Dillon Beach. The, the cost of getting anywhere from Dillon Beach and the cost of going for food and everything else is going to alleviate any um, affordable housing in Dillon Beach, even if it is affordable. The way to make it affordable and the way to really harm property values is to limit the number of short-term rentals. Uh, what I've seen since the moratorium went in place, prices plummeting. So the homeowners there that are living there full-time and want to retire at some point or, or move along, um, they can keep it in their family by uh, allowing short-term rentals and making that income so the can't, family can afford to come back there and, and stay there. But if you take away that income, um, there's just no way that um, people are going to stay there. Um, the prices have gone down about 40% on some houses that have been rec uh, recently listed. I've seen others uh, at the prices before the moratorium that just didn't sell market. So it's um, really causing a lot of issues there with just the moratorium. <clears throat> so when you come to the regulations and rule changes that you're, that you're looking into, Please just consider Dillon Beach differently. Um, you know, putting a cap on it is going to artificially change things. Where there's about the same amount of uh, vacation rentals in place now as when we bought 20 years ago, and the market will dictate what is going to be too many vacation rentals or not enough vacation rentals in Dillon Beach. If somebody gets in a position where they have to sell their house at a specific time and there are no more vacation rentals allowed, that's really going to impact the rest of their lives as they retire and uh, don't have that income they would have from uh, the sale of the home. All right, thank you. Thank you. Sue, uh, Scott Grooms, Jessica Lashbrook, Chris Harrington. Hello, and thank you. Um, I think it's probably as simple as uh, two thank yous and three pleases. So. First, uh, to you all, thank you for your, your patience and your uh, acceptance of all the different perspectives. I think it's a beautiful thing that so many different stakeholders can come together in one environment or even be on Zoom calls and have such emphatic uh, feelings about their different perspectives or their positions and then be encouraged to collaborate on this. So thank you for the patience to work through all that. Thank you, staff, for uh, tolerating uh, the different uh, opinions and different um, perspectives. Uh, ironically, I'm here because... Steve Rubin, my family, and I went out to Stinson Beach first many years ago to host a family birthday party, and we landed in Steve's place. And um, it 
planted a seed for us to want to share something special for our family and friends, and I suppose also to open up another part of our lives where I grew up in Southern California on the beach, never even thought it would be possible. The only way that we can do this is by uh, a home that we own in Stinson Beach. We uh, share it with friends, we share it with family, and we rent it out part-time as an STR to cover property taxes. So beyond the two thank yous to uh, you all leading the charge here, I would just ask three things for pleases. Um, the first please is please commit and reiterate that this is an open process. It should be open, transparent, and inclusive. And I think I say that because it sometimes, uh, I, I, and I'm on, probably on Zoom record of saying that I feel like sometimes it feels like this is a premeditated attack on or a vilification of people who own homes who have to rent them in order to cover expenses. Um, please remember that being a smart owner of property should not cause you to be vilified if you own it in an LLC for purposes of estate planning or for risk mitigation or for t uh, uh, risk mitigation on the property. And then just please make sure that you're using data and expecting that the data that gets used to drive decisions is really objective, very well vetted out by all the sides or all the stakeholders of the, of the, of the data, and then that it's uh, examined and criticized and there's an open forum and nothing's happening behind closed doors where all the stakeholders don't have perspective on that because it feels really weird sometimes to feel like sometimes things are being pushed through underhandedly or snuck by us as property owners or as stakeholders in certain situations. So the thank yous and the pleases, thank you. Thank you. Jessica Lashbrook, Chris Harrington, Kent Katikian. Yep. Jessica Lashbrook. Hello, I'm Jessica Lashbrook. Um, I'm a small business owner in Fairfax. Um, my, uh, my agricultural based shop has been in existence since 1970. I'm speaking on behalf of the host owned and operated STRs and believe that corporate STRs should be separated under the proposed regulations. I'm a huge part of the, uh, of the community in Marin and the surrounding areas, especially Central and West Marin. I want to and fully deserve to stay in my childhood home. The only way I can afford to do so is by renting out the upper half of my house. I started renting to short-term rentals after a long-term renter cost me upward of $10,000 worth of damage. Um, it is almost impossible to get a long-term renter out even if damage and a refusal of rent payment is proven. Fairfax is now trying to introduce their rent control which will make it even more difficult for homeowners to get delinquent and abusive renters out. Homeowners that are dependent on income are likely to, um, and likely to lose, wait, sorry. Homeowners that are dependent on the income are likely to lose their homes in that kind of situation. On top of that, utilities and taxes have doubled and sometimes tripled in cost. Insurance companies are doubling their rates and canceling or canceling altogether. 
Our cost of living is making it uh, practically impossible for the common person to live in Marin County, and it is just going to exacerbate the problem. Short-term rentals bring a lot of positive economic influx into local businesses, restaurants, and music venues. As an on-site host, I make sure that my neighbors and hometown are respected by all my guests. I've had many guests over the years who've actually moved into our town after falling in love with its beauty and charm. If short-term rentals weren't allowed or limited, Fairfax, known, uh, known for years as a hub for artists and musicians and agricultural-based people and businesses, many of the, its residents would be priced out and forced to move. Then it would be only the wealthy people that were able to live there. That is definitely not a diverse community. As a host and small business owner, I feel I bring an economic value to my hometown. Thank you. Thank you. Chris Harrington, followed by Kent um, Katikian and Michael Parman. My name is Chris Harrington. Thank you. I, I donated my time to my colleague, David, uh, David and uh, I had mailed a letter in, so I don't need to speak today. But Thank you very much. Kent Katikian. Good afternoon. Um, <clears throat> I've, um, I'm going to speak about Bolinas because that's where I've been for 47 years. Uh, my wife and I um, have been owners of a house in Bolinas for 37 years. Our children were born there, and they were raised there. Um, Non-hosted short-term rentals contribute, well, really nothing to the community. Um, perhaps I'm missing something, but when I read the media about California, what I see over and over again in the media is that there's a housing shortage in California. Not that there's a shortage of opportunities for people to rent at the, at the coast, but that there's a shortage of places for people to live. Um, both of my children are grown now. One is married, the other is not. One is married to an electrician, the other works in carbon capture um, technology. Both of them would like to live in Bolinas. Neither of them can find a place to rent in Bolinas. We attempted to buy a place for them in Bolinas and were priced out by someone who bid many hundreds of thousands of dollars over us and is not living there, but is using it as a short-term rental. And then on occasion, the family that bought it is there on weekends. Um, Non-hosted short-term rentals do not um, provide volunteers for your Girl Scout troops. They are not your volunteer firefighters. They are not on your fire board. They do not start or, or um, maintain your, um, the Stinson Bolinas School Foundation. They do not start the docent program on the reef, nor do they volunteer as docents on the reef. When there is a heavy rain and the dirt roads need to have someone go out and dig a ditch to make sure that, to, to mitigate the effects of it, it isn't 
the non-hosted short-term rentals that provide that service to everyone in the community. It is the residents, whether there be owners or people who are renting. Um, make no mistake about it, the short-term rentals tear, the, the non-hosted short-term rentals tear the fabric of community. And in a place like Bolinas, which is different than Dillon Beach, community is as important as the environment is why most of us move there. One of the two um, really equally important reasons why we move there. And it is, it is being rendered um, apart. Thank you. Um, okay, we're down to our last three speakers, Michael Parman, Lauren Collier, Collieri, and Lisa um, Michelbor. Uh, if, if you have not heard your name and you'd like to speak, just um, come up to the podium at the, after the last speaker, please. Uh, great, thank you. So I'm opposed to the current campaign uh, to regulate short-term rentals and a lot of great points that I was hoping to make have been made, so I'll just briefly address uh, the main issues that I wanted to. I think it's important for people to understand um, that there is both a ban on short-term rentals um, as well as a shadow ban being continued and proposed. I think that this board needs to understand the cost associated with upgrading housing to current code, that is housing that was brought to market having been approved already by the then current code, is entirely prohibitive for anybody to undertake so as to provide short-term housing. They simply won't. Um, I've had the experience of upgrading a building in San Francisco uh, built in 1940 to uh, current code and it cost a quarter of a million dollars. That did not include septic. So you're looking at $250,000, $300,000. Um, people are just not going to do it. They're not going to do the short-term rental. And so that is effectively a ban. So I think people should just call that what it is as opposed to talking about this you know, shadow regulatory ban. Um, the other point that I wanted to make is I've heard a lot of people talk about this sort of boogeyman of you know, investors running around buying houses to turn them into Airbnbs so as to steal housing from people, et cetera. So anyways, I just wanted to walk through some math for you uh, so that this propaganda can be sort of broken down for the uh, untruth that it is. Let's say, for example, a typical house in, I don't know, Inverness, uh, cost as little as a million dollars, it's actually more, and you bought it with an 80% loan, as people do, $800,000, that's going to cost you, uh, you know, probably about $10,000 a month. You're then going to have about, you know, probably about $1,000 of tax. You're going to have about $500 of insurance, et cetera, et cetera. That's going to total probably around $12,000 of monthly cost. That's the reality. Now, you put that on Airbnb. Your Airbnb rate, you can look at the averages. It's probably going to be about $350 to $400. There are 30 days in a, in a month. Your occupancy, on average, is going to be about 40%. That's $4,800. So I would ask you, which investment to sign up to lose $5,000 a month? Nobody. The concept that investment funds, corporations, any other type of person is running around buying homes in West Marin for a profit motive is fallacious and just propaganda. So I hope you guys ignore anyone talking about that. Thank you. Thank you. Lauren Collieri. Lauren. Okay, I'm not seeing her. Uh, Lisa Mickleborn. Is there anyone else who would like to address the commission on this issue? 
Okay, I'm not seeing anyone else who wants to address the commission on this issue, so I am going to close public comment. And I want to thank everyone for coming out today. Um, my understanding, Sarah, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there is no further business that the commission needs to do other than to take public comment. So let me know if there's anything else that we need to do before adjourning. Do I don't think we need to. We're just supposed to take public comment. Are we supposed, are we going are we to engage in a discussion now too of what we want to do? My understanding is that, go ahead. Yeah, there's a, there's opportunity for questions or comments from Great. Um, the commissioners. Uh, but before you do, do you, would you like staff to just kind of yes. respond to a few of those things? Please. Yeah, first off, I just want to thank everybody for coming out and sharing your perspectives and um you know, sitting here for three hours so far. It's, I really appreciate it. It's nice to put a lot of faces to the names of the people that we've been talking to and working with over the last few months. So again, really want to just thank you first. Um, and then I, I feel like I, I should have um, kind of a, touched on the guiding principles for this work. Um, this is the, the feedback we've received today is consistent with what we've been hearing since last November when we um, did our learning sessions. And uh, from a lot of the feedback that was uh, provided during those, those conversations, we um, established some guiding principles to inform the direction of this work, the direction of our regulations. And so I just kind of wanted to touch on those. We have seven items. Um, one is that we will prioritize housing supply and affordability and consider regulations in light of their effects on the cost of availability of housing within individual communities. Um, when we shared this with the community, we noted that you know, housing supply and affordability was both for the community members who live there, but we also, again, recognize that um, those who operate short-term rentals do operate them at times to be able to afford to live here as well. So it is a, a nuanced um, discussion and a complex topic. Uh, so we do acknowledge that. Uh, additionally, we want to advance equity and access to the economic opportunities, services, and activities. Uh, that includes all of the amenities that West Marin has to offer. This is a, a beautiful place with amazing recreational opportunities and all of the things that you know we all love about living here. Um, we want to share with others, and we know that you know access to the coast is an important element. Um, we heard that today. Uh, and I kind of wanted to just talk about the Coastal um, Commission and how they play a role for a moment. Um, we cannot uh, get out of the coastal zone in Dillon Beach. The coastal zone extends three miles in from the coastline. Um, goes a little further up there because of the Estero, actually. Um, and, you know, the Coastal Commission uh, was established through the Coastal Act of uh, 1976. The Coastal Act, um, you know, controls how uh, development along the coast is uh, built or protected from the environment. Um, and it also encourages and requires and mandates uh, access to the coast. So that's definitely something that is a component of the work that we are doing. And, and um, the Coastal Commission... Um, is involved in this. I'm, I'm meeting regularly with Coastal Commission staff, and they, we are bringing them along with this work so that they're aware of the, you know, feelings from the community, um, both sides, and we will work to create, you know, regulations and partnerships that um, continue the, the mandate of the state level. 
Um, we recognize that Marin County has historically provided vacation opportunities to the greater Bay Area uh, region and state. And that's why we're not recommending a ban on short-term rentals. Um, I've even uh, met with Dewey Livingston, our you know, local historian, and he shared the history of short-term rentals with me, even back to you know, Willow Camp and Stinson Beach and all of, that, all of the history that comes along with it. It's, it's a, a rich history, and we do recognize that. Uh, we want to distinguish among types of short-term rental operations and operators, as you heard today. Uh, there are different sentiments around the way people use property, and uh, we acknowledge that and understand that you know there there can be differences between hosted and whole house short-term rentals. Um, additionally, around the types of ownership that people use to own and, and maintain property, uh, we want to consider environmental constraints such as water and sewage capacity, and that is something that we we have to consider. Um, we want to develop regulations that are clear, affordable, simple, and enforceable. I think that enforceable is that big element, and I, I appreciate the fact that people touched on that today because it's something that we're talking about all the time. We have our code enforcement team as part of our, our you know, working group, and all of our regulations that we may put forward will have to you know, comply with that, that enforceable element. And so that's something that we agree will definitely need to be at the forefront of this regu regulations. Um, and then, you know, finally, we wanted to assure that short-term rentals are, yeah, thank you, are good neighbors, uh, considering noise, parking, trash, and other um, neighborhood quality of life concerns, um, which I think was, was spoken to today. But I just wanted to, again, just bring it back to the fact that those are our guiding principles, and they, they will be. Um, things that we're, we're considering, and we hope that you consider them as well when we bring forward you know, draft regulations or even when you have questions today. Um, we hope that that's, again, you know, at the forefront of your mind as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on was um, this TOT and the fact that you know, TOT is collected by the Department of Finance and you know, Measure W area pays a higher rate than the rest of the county. Um, some of that money, go, uh, half of that, you know, extra 4%, uh, so 2% goes to affordable housing in, in West Marin, and uh, the other 2% goes to emergency services. So fire preparedness is definitely something that that, that money is going towards. We do have a Measure W uh, working group that... Um, meets regularly and provides direction on how that, um, that money for affordable housing is spent. And they have a, a web page on the county's website if you're also interested in learning more about the Measure W um, TOT and what, what's happening with it and where it's going. They report out regularly and the reports are, are very informative. Um, one member um, spoke to the fact that the state of California is currently considering a Senate bill that would increase TOT, or would establish a TOT across the state at, of 15%. And that 15% would be then collected and redistributed throughout the state to support affordable housing. We are going to be following along with that state bill. Um, it would it would bring um, TOT in West Marin up to 
I think that there are um, some questions as to whether or not this is a kind of a bill that would actually pass, but I do want to acknowledge that this is something that we will be following and it will um, you know, affect the work if it is passed. Uh, and then finally, uh, around um, you know accessory dwelling units and the constraints around them, um, the county and the state you know do encourage uh, the development of accessory dwelling units. Regulations have been you know reduced over time, and planning entitlements have been you know limited over time to really encourage the development of housing. The tricky part is that West Marin has a lot majority of their homes on septic system, and the septic system definitely constrains properties. And so we want to you know acknowledge that there are you know constraints, and it can be difficult to build an accessory dwelling unit in West Marin. Um, we're open to you know hearing more about your experiences. Our housing team meets with folks all the time to understand what those constraints are, and we can you know take that information and see if there's anything that can be done about it. Um, let Sarah speak to anything else that she might want to, but I did want to kind of, you know, touch on those things and again thank everybody. Thank you, Kathleen. Go ahead. Yes, and I I also want to reiterate the thanks and appreciation for everybody who came out. I know a lot came from West Marin. It's a long trip. They don't get uh, Coming over to Big Pink for a meeting is not necessarily the top of everybody's list, but uh, I think it's been really important to have people here and um, probably a great view, uh, especially for our new commissioners, to just the diversity and range of issues in West Marin particularly. So that's been good. One further point that I wanted to clarify that um, somewhat came up in the comments today is also related to the enforcement uh, and the staffing. When we uh, are considering regulations, we will be uh, considering the costs of implementing those regulations, uh, staff, enforcement, all of those things, uh, and thinking about what that means for, uh, for the fee schedule around short-term rental licenses. Uh, right now, it is simply the business license fee, which is something like $45. Uh, we are not anticipating that this would be the case under new regulations. We would be, um, you know, looking to make sure that the, that the costs of implementing the program are uh, not coming out of the general fund. Thank you. And I'm sorry. I do want to add one more thing, and this is something that um, has been brought up in past meetings, and we have, you know, affirmed this. But I wanted to speak to um, Scott Groom's comment about having this be an open, uh, transparent process. Uh, yes, this, that is the goal for this. This is why, you know, we're here today to provide opportunities for people to share in settings, and we are committed to transparency. I think it's of the utmost importance when it comes to being a government entity that we are. Um, at times, we are legally constrained by the information that we can provide. But you know, I'm happy to further discuss things with anybody, share what I can, and really do think that transparency is an important element of this work. Thank you, Kathleen, and thanks, Sarah. Um, members of the commission, anybody have any questions or comments for staff before we wrap up? Yep. Yep. I didn't understand this at all, that we're just supposed to listen. I mean, I'm happy to listen, but I assume that we're supposed to at least some, give some guidance in terms of what we've heard and what we 
what we think about this as you go about creating it. I mean, a couple quick things. Kathleen, you, I mean, the people who raised these aren't here anymore. You pointed out that the coastal zone is a legislatively determined uh, geographic boundary. So we don't have, which was done when the Coastal Act was enacted, and we don't have the option of uh, opting in or out of the coastal zone. <clears throat> um, for another, where there's all this trash, there is supposed to be a contact person for every short-term rental, and it's supposed to be visibly posted. So if there are problems and there isn't a phone number there, then a complaint should be made to the county because you are there is app, speaking as somebody with a short-term rental. I know that this is the case. You must have the name and phone number uh, of of somebody at the at the rental. I'm also. I think this man is no longer here. But the place in Marshall, the pullout in Marshall, it sounds like maybe that's been somewhat resolved. But there's also the East Shore Planning Group, which is very responsive to uh, everything that goes on in Marshall. If you've got a problem in Marshall, get in contact with George Clyde, for example, at the East Shore Planning Group. Um, what is very clear, clear to me is one, the changes that have happened over the last 30 or 40 years in, in these communities. Um, many of the communities were not full-time, like Dillon Beach, which still is not full-time. Others, like Inverness, wasn't primarily full-time. But things have changed such that it's possible now with Zoom and other kinds of, uh, um, well, and, and ease of transportation for people that have cars in any event, to live full-time in these places. So now there is a desire to do that. But historically, they weren't. So the notion that this is somehow... Uh, destroying the history of these communities which had full-time residents, it doesn't really bear up under the facts. Um, nevertheless, it is change, and we need to adapt to those changes, and that each of the communities are different. So I don't know how the county is planning to proceed here, but I would actually want, just like with the community plans, notwithstanding where they've been gutted under the new housing element, but that, the, that each community should have the option to determine what they want to do. Because it's just, I mean, what we have heard over and over and over today is that one size is way not going to fit all. Two sizes isn't going to fit all. So there should be opportunities for each of the village associations, I think, to come up with a short-term rental legislation rules that suit them. And I think that the county can provide a, a grid, a form, maybe suggesting the number of issues that need to be addressed, the questions that should be asked. But I think that it's something that should be left to, um, to the communities. Um, I understand why, I mean, again, people have said data. We need to be data-driven. This is true. If, in fact, REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts, which I think is what people are talking about when they're concerned about corporate ownership, are posing a problem, that's one thing. If they're LLCs, that's something else again. So just, you know, many people own their houses as LLCs. So corporate per se is way too broad a brush. But if they are REITs, that's another matter, um, as far as I'm concerned. With regard to the parking requirements, um, I can get that there should be park requirements. Of course it makes sense. I want to point out, and maybe this is a different category of thing, but the state is no longer requiring parking requirements for housing. So we're, we're facilitating ADUs and getting rid of garages and asking people to park on the street. We, we, we had lots of conversations about this. We're concerned about evacuation. We're concerned about fire. We're concerned about all of these matters, but the state 
isn't. <laughs> and so no longer do we have to provide housing for ADUs or for new house construction, I suppose. So I don't know if, if you can argue, well, this is something else. Again, it's a different standard. Um, it makes sense to me that we would need to provide housing, but I don't know that that's something that's actually going to be enforceable. Relate, I mean, parking. But re related to that is are the health and safety matters. And I can understand people that own houses built many, many years ago not wanting to bring them up to code. Um, but it seems to me there, and I know that there currently exist, minimal health and safety rules that you have to comply with, fire extinguishers, et cetera. So I think that making sure that you're providing a safe environment for the people who come to stay with you, which may be short of having to bring your place up to current code if it is a major investment, as uh, was pointed out, is one thing. On the other hand, we want to make sure that people who come uh, out here are treated well and feel safe. So I think that there should be some minimal some minimal safety standards. Um, so I think that those were the points that I wanted to make, and I too want to add to all of the accolades that Kathleen has been receiving today. I, I just think that the way that you've handled this is so different from the way that things were handled recently under other circumstances, and I want to thank you for the professionalism, the consideration, the kindness with which you have and the thoroughness with which you have uh, done this. Yep. Commissioner Dickinson. Uh, in, in terms of our further consideration of what is obviously a very complex issue with a lot of potential unintended consequences that I can see, um, what I'm curious about is I've read articles and um, and heard about corporate investors. And I don't know how those corporate investors and BlackRock's won 5,500 homes in one year or something like that. Um, I just don't have any idea whether that is an issue in Marin, how you would determine in terms of, it would be helpful like to have information on how many people own, multi, whatever the ownership title is, own multiple properties. Uh, as I mentioned, the house I inherited in, in Guerneville, I've received within last year two letters, the most recent one from Paso Robos, saying we have a group of investors who would like to buy your house. And they're, because of the tone of the letter, it's obviously not someone interested in buying it and living there or because of the economics, buying it and renting it out. But it's short-term rental. I'm, I'm just curious as to to what degree that's happening in Marin, and can we? Is there even a way to determine whether that is happening? Because the the income from a short-term rental is twice, or it's considerably more than it would be for someone even to buy a house and rent it out for long-term occupancy. And at this point, I don't really have a sense as to whether that is part of the problem that we should be addressing, or maybe it isn't. Um. Yeah, thanks for, for bringing this up. Um, when we developed our survey, we considered a lot of different regulations that other communities have in place. 
A number of communities do have the requirement that a natural person operates a short-term rental. A natural person is a, a legal term of art that says it's not an, an LLC or corporation, essentially. Um, but we, fa we, we found that that could be difficult to enforce, and it could be difficult to understand um, who owns the property. You know, you can you can be a part of a you know corporation, and and they can split off and be an individual who open you know to open or gets a license in the name. Um, and so it's it's something that uh, while we recognize that ultimately we aren't the ones who make the final decision, it just it felt like something that was hard to regulate. But we're hearing that you know a number of people do support something like that, and. Um, we can work with those other agencies and communities to better understand how they um, ensure that, um, similar to the requirement that it's your primary home. You know, we have a primary home exemption uh, tax in the county, but not everybody knows about it. Not everybody receives it. Um, some people may not feel like it's a worthwhile use of their time to actually, you know, get it. Um, Seventy dollars. Tax deduction, I think, is it's what you It get can from be anywhere from $5,600 to $7,000. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, even, I mean, anecdotally. When you figure the taxes, yeah. I mean, it's a, a $7,500 exemption off your property tax, but that works out to like $70 oh, yeah, a year okay. or something like but that. But, yeah, so it's just, it may not be, you know, the way to show that it's somebody's primary home. You may have to look at, um, you know, utility bills or, um, leases or their, you know, where they get their mail, where their license is registered, the, all these things um, people are using to try and prove that there is like a primary resident in that structure when it is in operation. So it's just, a, it's, it's tough to regulate who owns things, where they live, though, but we can, you know, attempt to get further clarity from the agencies and, and groups that are using those regulations. Yeah, and historically vacation rentals have been owned by someone and then occasionally rented out. I mean, the family uses it part of the time and then when they're not using it, they'll rent it out for some period. And that, I think, is different than a situation where there's no individual involved, <laughs> there's no one who ever stays there, it just becomes a commercial operation. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, I look, um, VRBO, one in my neighborhood, that obviously was a short-term rental. Um, and every weekend there were different people there, and occasionally they'd be noisy, sometimes they weren't. I looked it up, and the listing there had 12 different options. If you don't like this one, how about this one? How about this one? We have other ones available, and they were actually owned by a, a group that owns a lodge. And they had their lodge rooms, and then they also had separate short-term rentals. And it was really part of their commercial operation. It wasn't what I see in terms of the, the more hosted, bed and breakfast kind of someone um, making part of their home available to visitors occasionally. I mean, it really is a it develops into a commercial operation. And again, I'd be curious if there's any way to try to figure out to what degree that is going on, if it's even going on, but. Yeah. Something that we can look into. And we can, uh, you know, we are continuing to work with uh, the information that we're able to get from, or that, uh, that, the, that the Department of Finance has 
because that's, and, and as well as the assessor, that's where you can uh, understand the ownership. I think, you know, based on what we know at this point, I, it is not appearing that this is the predominant nature of the short-term rental situation in Marin at this point. I, I, you know, it's also not a situation that I think anybody would like to see developing. Once it's, once it's happened, uh, it, it's, it's difficult to pull it back. And so that's, uh, you know, something that we need to keep in mind, and that's where some of the thoughts about limiting the number of short-term rentals that any individual entity can operate is kind of targeted at that. Good suggestion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can also speak that you, the mid more than half of the ownerships of short-term rentals are trusts. So, like Sarah said, it's not it's not the predominant ownership model that we see. Any other comments by commissioners or questions? Just yep, Commissioner Lind. I, excuse me. I think I'm hoarse now for not speaking for so long, just a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think listening to the testimony today, it was clear that there's a difference in the, in the hosting situation and the more you can provide us data or, an or analysis of that, the better for our eventual understanding of if we're going to be talking about caps or we're going to be talking about different approaches in different communities. Um, that seems to be a really important part of, of figuring out a solution that is going to be workable and respond to the, the needs we heard about today as well but still provide a way to get a hold of the issue so that we don't, so that it, uh, so you don't end up in a situation that you can't pull back from as you were just referencing. So that, I think that that's a really critical piece of this is the difference in the types of hosts, the way you've defined hosts in the staff report now, you're not making that differentiation. So we have families that have owned properties as vacation rentals and they use them themselves actively over the, over portions of the year and they participate in the community from that point of view and then they rent them out and they supplement their income and their maintenance by doing that and then we have people who live on the property and uh, there's more than one dwelling unit on the property or they're using a part of their home mm -hmm. and we have commercial properties that have multiple residential entities on them and we heard a number of people testifying about that. So to the extent that you can present that to us as data that we can understand in terms of framing the issue and how we might then approach uh, regulation that can discuss caps or differences between communities, that would be really helpful. And I also want to make the observation that, you know, our responsibility is land use and zoning. It is not finance or taxation. And... Um, we generally don't zone by ownership. You know, it's not, it's not something that land use contemplates. We're, we're looking at the impact of land use in communities, and we need to consider that as we move forward. Can I respond to that for a second? Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate the comment about needing that kind of, the data that you were requesting. Um, as we um, talked about with our, our coordination with Department of Finance needs to 
um, improve and we need to kind of get on the same page with um, what we're looking at when we're analyzing data. Um, currently, um, the Department of Finance asks folks to self-report um, information about their property and they currently have um, many um, land use types. So for example, you can have a floating home, a residence, a cottage, a house, a room or rental property type not identified, right? So people just yeah. don't don't let us know what they're renting out. Um, and so I think a component of potential regulations may need to be a better way of reporting this information that's consistent with what we are trying to analyze in the data. Um, but yeah, we can you know speak to the fact that based on the um, reported information, we have about 56 short-term rental operators that rent a room. Uh, the rest identify themselves either as unidentified, that's 170, um, and the other ones are you know, floating homes, residences, cottages, and house, houses. So, you know, it doesn't pick up on the, the nuance between that, so it will be difficult at this time to share that information, but moving forward, we definitely want to have better um, data collection and data reporting. Yeah, well, in terms of not creating... Um, um, Unintended consequences, I think, you know, the more accurate we can be, the better. And to Commissioner Dickinson's point, I think at a certain point it does start feeling like a commercial operation. So what is that transition point? If mm -hmm. you can identify that for us and we could have a discussion about that because that is clearly land use. So, well, I personally have had a longstanding observation about uh, what appears to be essentially commercial use of single-family properties, and I'm not talking about West Marin in particular, I'm, I'm talking in society in general here, that that's <laughs> has happened since the advent of Airbnb as, as opposed to, to former bread and breakfast, which is why I asked the question about how the two uses are treated in zoning at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, uh, we, we, would, we would say that at this time we agree that it is a commercial activity um, and that there has been a real change in how you can use your property. I've learned a lot in this work, and you can, yeah. you can rent out your pool. You can rent out your front lawn so that a dog can, can use it if there's in an apartment building nearby and they don't have a yard. You can rent out your house uh, for a few hours for a photo shoot. You can, you, there's a lot of ways that people can commercialize the use of their residential property. Um, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, so it all so the term sharing well, has yeah, taken on a very the, different meaning than it. Well, yeah. it comes in zoning. It comes under the category of what's only a legitimate, access, a legitimate secondary uh, accessory use of a single-family dwelling, and that's, you know, society is pushing on that point, but that's really got, gets to the core of the regulatory approach that we ultimately have to take. I would only add to that. I I I think those are all very important points. Uh, we're also, uh, you know, wanting to get ahead of the issue in multifamily dwellings as well. That, uh, you know, we really don't want to see housing that could be affordable um, being put, uh, uh, you know, sort of turn, turned over into this use as, we, as we've put so much effort into making sure that there is that multifamily housing supply in the county. It's on Airbnb now <laughs> in large cities. 
Anyone else? Just one follow-up question. Yep. Um, just along that same point, um, with other cities, uh, have they actually attempted to deal with the multifamily use of, um, for uh, short-term rentals and to, to exempt them? Yeah, there are communities that have eligibility um, sections in their code, and they outline what types of housing cannot be used as short-term rentals, and that can include, you know, deed-restricted properties, multifamily properties. Uh, conversely, you have Malibu, whose uh, regulations were denied by the Coastal Commission, where they only were going to permit short-term rentals and multifamily housing. Mm. So you can see that it, it, there is an equity component to these regulations and this work, and it ties in to the county's overall goals of, you know, affirmatively furthering fair housing. That's a, a mouthful for me sometimes. So yeah. um, that is something that we will um, consider, and we can bring forward um, community comparisons so that you can see what other communities have been doing and uh, look at it in the context of what we're proposing. Yeah, that'd be terrific. I, I do think the uh, other community comparisons could be helpful, but also particularly focusing on how do you preserve affordable housing so those aren't converted into a commercial type enterprise. I have one other thing that I... Oh, of course. I'm listening to the conversation tonight, uh, or this afternoon, I am wondering if you could present or explore with the housing group any possible exceptions to the rental of ADUs, perhaps in West Marin. I mean, we have state law we have to deal with, and we and we also heard, and I think uh, may, commissioners have made the point about the, the concern about septic with rental of ADUs, and generally we have supported not renting ADUs countywide, but it occurs to me, based on the testimony we heard today, where I noticed that the public wasn't differentiating between rooms being rented and ADU or units being rented, that may, if there's some flexibility, West Marin might be a place where we might want to consider that, or at least learn about it. Uh, these are great points that are that are being raised, and um, uh, so I, I, I'll try not to be redundant, but I, I was going to ask about, um, I realize there's a septic issue with ADUs, but I think one thing to consider exploring is what, if anything, can be done to um, uh, uh, it, it, it create, it make it easier for people to build ADUs. Um, possibly, if you're making it easier, maybe they're even deed restricted. They have to be long term, I mean, more than 30 days by state law. So that's not an issue for ADUs. But, um, but that kind of dispersed housing can be really helpful. I know it's difficult, but um, maybe, there's, maybe there's something that can be done. I also think this distinction between um, uh, uh, hosted, not hosted, um, et cetera, is, is, is going to end up being key. Mm -hmm. um, and the more information we can get, the better. And I'm wondering, too, if there's any way for there to be preferential, tr preferential treatment or financial incentives. Or if, if we feel that one is preferable to another for the community hosted versus non-hosted, for instance, not suggesting that this doesn't need to be nuanced across the board to see what can and should be allowed everywhere. But maybe there's other ways to uh, in encourage what we think is better for the community without, you know, uh, I mean, I haven't heard anyone talking about just, you know, blanket, blanket, um, not allowing any particular category. But, um, but if there's things that we think are better for the community, 
are there things we can do to encourage that, to make that easier to do, to make that more lucrative, to make that somehow a little better? Um, and the other points have already been raised, so. I, and I can speak to the ADU issue. We have a number of uh, efforts going on to uh, try to chip away at the challenges around ADUs, whether it's around permitting uh, or around, you know, essentially making it easier for an individual homeowner who's not a property developer to um, to take the steps needed to uh, get the permits. I, uh, you know, the the overall costs of an ADU are a whole nother matter that's somewhat out of our control. But on the septic question, we are also doing a lot of work on that around uh, our septic regulations and, uh, you know, find it, finding a way to better reflect uh, some of the, you know, some of the, the real usage of these systems in light of, you know, how do you balance that out with or how do you reflect efforts that people are making around water conservation, for example, because the you know the whole issue gets to be flow. We are also working on a pilot program in Bellinas uh, that is uh, allowing for people to add a bedroom, add an ADU uh, with uh, some different approaches around the septic system to specifically try to make that issue easier. So yes, for sure, that's that's a really important piece of the housing picture as well. And um, going back to some of the points Commissioner Lind was making, you know, we do recognize that linkage between rental, either long-term or short-term, and the ability of people to um, hang on to and maintain their properties. So these are, these are all very much interrelated issues. Uh, on the hosted versus non-hosted, a lot of communities have different regulations for sort of either the full or part-time hosted situation uh, versus a, a non-hosted situation. For example, uh, San Francisco, there's no limit on the number of nights per year you can rent out hosted, but um, there's a limit, I think it's 90 nights per year for unhosted rental of a unit, for example. So it's just, there's sort of different strategies but that are used. But on the hosted and non-hosted, I think it's, I mean, we, in Dillon Beach, they're not gonna be hosted for the most part, nor should they be. In Bolinas, it sounds like there is a lot of energy for hosted. Yeah. So that's why I come back to you have, I think we need to let each community come back to us, each village association come back to us with what works in their community. And oh, by the way, if you watch TV, VRBO's whole advertising campaign is that you're not gonna have anybody else in the house with you. Right. And I, for, for me, if I were renting a house, I don't want other people in the house with me. You know, so I mean, I can see, it's not that I see both sides. There aren't both sides. There are one thing works in one community and something else works in another community. And I don't think we should be in the business of imposing on the community what we believe when the community is coming up in each of these communities and saying, this is what we want. And we're not hearing differences of the communities, differences of opinions within the communities. The communities here have been pretty, well, not terribly much. I mean, people have been fairly consistent in each of the places that we've heard from today 
uh, which has which isn't everywhere, by the way, but pretty consistent in uh, in in what they've come to us with. I've I've been really impressed and relieved by that, actually. Yeah. And we've been we have heard consistently throughout this that uh, uh, you know there there are real distinctions from one village to yeah. another. And I think the range of uh, current short-term rental, what was it, like 10% to 40% across the different uh, communities. So, I, you know, we are recognizing that need to be, um, to, uh, to reflect those distinctions that exist. I, at the same time, uh, you know, we are operating under a moratorium that is going to expire, and we don't want to have a situation where uh, we don't have anything in place for a period of time, so we so we're uh, we're trying to to get this right within a within a specified time period. And, and then again, just a matter of some historical interest. They didn't used to be called short-term rentals; they used to be called vacation rentals, and it was the only way you could stay out here for years and years and years and years. There weren't hotels, you know, but it was before the advent of of VRBO per se and Airbnb. So it gets back to it's a question of scale, and the scale has changed dramatically. But it's not just the, the scale of the rentals. It's the population pressures f from, the state of, from the Bay Area, from the state of California, from all over the, the country. The numbers are just so much bigger than they used to be. I, 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 I think, I'm guessing we all, but I, I think the one size does not fit all here. Um, by any stretch, this, there are real distinctions between these communities. Commissioner Marais. Um Yeah, I think um, what I would like to add is I heard a lot about, I would like to see, let me see, some of um, what is the commitment of the community at large for this affordable housing issue? We heard a lot about middle income, you know, inherited property, Right, we have the income, this is how we survive. And we hear one voice of one person who felt alone because nobody else was here to represent her community but her. So, and this is the community that needs affordable housing. So some of the speakers also mentioned that they are donors to the community, but how can we see that in this plan and in this um, new regulations that this is actually, that there is a commitment to, for all of us as a community as a whole and each community to address affordable housing. Is there a way that that can be included in this conversation? I think we would like to, uh, to find the appropriate and meaningful way to do that. Um, as Kathleen expressed, that's, that's really the starting point of why we're engaging in this at all is to, you know, is to understand and to, you know, ta to tailor our recommendations on the regulations to most importantly address that aspect of the issue. So if there are, um, if there are, uh, you know, activities happening around short-term rentals that are affecting housing affordability, that's that's the particular concern here. I I'm sorry. I, I wish I could I wish yeah, I could say okay. this is exactly how we're going to yeah. do yeah, it. Yeah. But I but I think that that's um, you know an important starting point to be affirming this from. Anyone else have any questions or comments for staff? 
You know, I'm just going to add my voice, Kathleen, to to thanks to you. Um, it's so nice to hear it come from the community that you're responsive and you listen, and that this process has been really good. And I also, you know, want to thank the community for you know for a applauding, but applauding for everybody who spoke and um, and just keeping it to a low roar. So thank you. And uh, with that, we are adjourned. Good job, Marco. Yes, you did a great job chairing that meeting. I thought that I didn't mention that came up.